0: Honestly, feel free to chat about absolutely anything. Just imagine we're down the pub having a beer, having a chat. It's it's really chilled out, it's really relaxed. It's just it's just people having a chat. That's all it is. So okay. whatever you want to talk about, at all.
1: Nursery no, strike. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to, feel free. No, don't even get me started on that stuff.
0: Politics and religion. Let's kick off with that. <laughs>
2: um, so is that all okay? Everything. up.
1: Looks great. Yeah. Okay.
2: Thanks, Nikki. Cheers.
3: No worries.
1: Look <laughs> out of here. Yeah, here as well. So you might jump in from time to time and awesome. Yeah, nice one. Okay? Yeah, of course it is. Brilliant, brilliant. Cool. <coughs> okay, my right. Friend you want to crack on? Roll.
0: Okay. Do you have a? Do you have a beer? Excellent. He's got a beer already. Right, folks. Here's Ian cool. Wilson from Rodskin. How you doing, Ian? I'm um, very well indeed, Bruce. Very well indeed. Awesome. Merry Christmas to you. I've got to say that tree looks fantastic. <laughs> my wife did that <laughs> We're not even putting one up this year Because we're going up north for Christmas So my wife was She said Do, do, do you want a Christmas tree this year? I got the I got the hint and went No
1: dear <laughs> <So, laughs> I do that uh, Nick loves Christmas She's great I must say I'm a bit of a Christmas uh, humbug To be honest It yeah? starts so early man It starts in like October <laughs> People are doing it and I'm like oh my god It was ridiculous this year, wasn't it? There were people in in our little village here. There was people putting a Christmas tree up in September. What is going on? I know, it's crazy. I think for us as well, it's because work really kicks off, obviously with the heated clothing we do as well. You know, Mm -hmm. it suddenly got cold, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and it's just like turning the tap on. So for us this time of year, we're just so busy. You just never get a chance to rest. And then I've got to think, oh my God, Nick's Christmas present. And then, you know, <laughs> typically the Christmas Eve I'm down there trying to buy something and never fits. That do, want, do, want a,
0: do you want a garbing heated jacket?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, let me just tell you this, Bruce. I, this is why I'll be very careful these days. For a 50th birthday, we were up at the NEC doing yeah. a show. Her, unfortunately for Nick, her birthday always falls at the NEC show. Mm-hmm. So the NEC, so it's basically a work thing. And a 50th birthday, I had all these plans to do this, this, that and the other. Ran out of time. The night before the show started... I ran out to I ran out to Curry's and bought a Dyson Hoover. No, for fiftieth birthday, yeah. Who said romance is dead? <laughs> it was a good one. It's one of the sucky ones. It's great. I thought it was cool, but apparently it wasn't. wasn't a great birthday present. So you're still general, alive. Be careful. Wow. You know, I've made more mistakes than that in my life. Trust me. Well, we can get into that for sure. I'm looking over my shoulder because Mark's in here as well. And he said to me when I was going to chat to you tonight, he said, Ian, there's certain things you mustn't talk about. And I'm like, really? He said, yeah, yeah. You know, he's talking about the past when we used to run a courier company together years ago and some things we used to get up So He said, don't mention that. That. So you never know who's going to be listening. You never know what's going to happen. You don't know if people coming back to haunt us. So, uh,
0: is he is he just standing in the background, ready to go? No, pull the plug.
1: He's got a big piece of paper written on saying Shut
0: up. <laughs> right. Well, let's get going then. Let's see how we can dig in. Um, Ian, obviously, um, yourself and and your lovely wife Nikki, you are the the sort of people behind Roadskin with Mark, um, but. Can we go a little bit further back? What got you into biking? What's your biking history?
1: Well, <laughs> started with a girl, fun enough. Probably when I was about eleven, and we were going to school, and um, one of the guys at school had a, a Vespa 90 scooter in his garage, and I thought, oh, this would be good fun. I want you know, let's get a hold of this, and. um so I bought it off him for a pound, but the deal was I had to kiss his sister as well. It, <laughs> it fancied me. I'm like, oh great, okay. So I plucked up the courage, go down there with my pound. Here's my pound, kiss the sister, and do a run of the scooter. It was great. But to be honest, I start, I got into biking but it was really my dad. So my dad was into not into motorcycling, hated motorcycles, mm. but he was big time into cycling and not off-road cycling. It wasn't really called mountain biking then. We're talking 50 years ago, you know. He, but he used to have knobblies on his bike and he used to go out and build all these bikes. And he got me into that. And the biggest thing was when we went outside, it was just laziness. You're just going uphill. You're pedaling uphill. There was no, no fun in it. So, mm-hmm. of course, what I wanted was an engine to push me uphill. And that is yep. what started me off. You know, so all of a sudden have got an engine to get uphill. Everything was completely different. And off you go. It just changed your life.
0: So the, the first bike was the C90? Now a
1: Vespa 90 scooter. Sorry, Vespa. Sorry, apologies. Yeah. I didn't yeah, have a yeah. Parker, but I did have my Vespa 90. <laughs> I remember I took all the old metal bits off the side of it and uh, stripped it all down to just the frame of the engine. Just used to ride around local farmers' field. So were you young. a mod then? Were you a mod and not the rocker? <laughs> no, not 11 years old. I didn't have any mates. So I was just out on my, own, riding my riding my little scooter around the fields, so having fun. Used to go every single night on it. But you know, it's great. And I will tell you what, I'm a firm believer. They actually starting to ride young like that especially with little tires road tires mm. on a muddy mm. field you know it's sliding all over the place the bike is all over the place and so you just get you just get used to it naturally you know you just get used to riding and i firm believe that off-road riding makes you a better road rider for sure
0: so, so everybody keeps telling everyone's everyone is dying for me to to sort of master the off-roading I, I, I do the odd little bit of like trail riding but that's about it but uh, yeah everyone keeps telling me you'll be a much better road rider if you can ride off-road
1: well do you know I think if you've been a road rider for a long time I actually think you struggle off-road because mm. basically it seems to me because I know Mark like I say, sitting on my shoulder here I remember going out at Mark when was that Mark 15
4: 20 years ago mm-hmm.
1: long time ago I
4: said <laughs>
1: I said to Mark, come on, let's go and do a bit of trial riding. So I've always had off road bikes, and I lent him one of my bikes. I think he had uh...
2: <laughs> He stopped it, though. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah,
3: yeah.
2: Talk amongst <laughs>
1: yourselves. Anyway, the bottom line is he's shouting at me now. He's getting upset. The bottom line is we're out trial riding. Um, and okay, Mark had a DR600 with road tires on, and yes, I had my Huseberg knobbles on it, so mm. I obviously had an advantage. But Mark was a useless, man—absolutely <laughs> 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 absolutely useless. He must have fallen off every you know, every five miles. Because the reason being, in my mind, is that basically on the road, you pretty much the bike stays where it is, you know, and so you're, used to, yeah. you're not used to moving. So you're concentrating on what you're doing, you think about other things, but a bike doesn't really move. Whereas, of mm. course, off the road, bike moves, slides, and straight away particularly in Mark's case, but in most people's cases, don't ride off-road, you're fighting it straight away. Mm. So, so if it starts going a bit left the front wheel or sliding a little bit, you're fighting it's chance to stop doing it, and that's absolutely the worst thing to do. Yeah, I, I used to let the bike go with it. So it's really old habits, you know, they die hard, as they say.
0: Yeah, definitely. I I used to ride like a, uh, an utter hooligan on the road. And I used to love the feel of my my Jixxer moving underneath me. I really like the skittiness, you know, when you're like hard on the brakes and hard on the power. And not like I couldn't drift the bike or anything daft like that, but you could feel the bike sort of moving a little bit. And I used to love that sensation. Now I'm the polar opposite. I, I like a bike to feel like st- stuck to that road. I, I don't like any sensation of it moving
1: anymore. Yeah, no, it's it's it is, it's a completely different thing. Road off-road riding and road riding, and I don't think two do mix. I've been having said that, of course, Valentina Rossi and all the rest of them, yeah, Mark Marquez, yeah. and all the all the good. Road riders, always they always come from a motocross background. Absolutely, yeah. You know, I yeah. know Valentino's got his ranch. they never been invited down. unfortunately, maybe one day. He's got his ranch <laughs> where they go, and it's all off-road stuff, isn't
0: it? Have you ever done um, Colin Edwards? No, Texas have, to tornado. have you done it? Any- Oh, I, on, on the on the big world trip, he he dropped me a message on Twitter and, and, and said, I think uh, because Bridgestone were, um, or one of my mates from Bridgestone, I think he sort of preempted him. He messaged him and said, oh, there's a, I've got a mate of ours who's coming your way. He's doing this trip, blah, blah, blah. And he just said, oh, if he comes through Texas, get him to drop me a line. So I did not in a million years thinking he would actually reply. And he replied and he said, yeah, great. Here's my address. Come meet me
1: and, and come wow. to the school. So did did realize, he, he has a big oval doesn't he it's inside yeah he's yeah, like got big all shit. sorts
0: yeah yeah yeah. so I turned up and um, it was his what birthday was it was it his 40th birthday so it was, it was actual birthday that day and all his family were all there and yeah mm-hmm. we just got like there's bikes there's beer he bought himself a great big new truck so you know we were taking well he he was taking the truck around the, the circuit and jumping it and doing all sorts um, and um there's a barbecue on the go. The only thing was the big 50 cal sniper rifle that he's got. That was oh, knackered yeah, at the time. The fire, so yeah, I thought I thought we were going to get a shot of that, but it was it was broken at the time. So it was like, oh, but it was yeah, amazing yeah. to meet him. He's he is is he's exactly like he is on the telly. He's just just a what, just just how you'd imagine he'd be, you know, very, yeah. very easygoing, very
1: welcoming, just typical sort of Texas bloke. It's funny, though, we got the, we were at the uh, Classic Bike Show with Roadskin this year, mm-hmm. and uh, John Kaczynski was out there. Do you remember John Kaczynski? No, who's that? You're going to shoot uh, me. a 500-moto-GP rider. He won wow. World Superbikes in the time of – he won World Superbikes on a Castro Honda the year before – Carl, well, here after Carl Foxy went, I decided the year. So Carl Foxy moved to Honda, he ran from Ducati, didn't get anywhere on it. And then uh, John Kaczynski was riding. So we're going back a while there, Bruce. But um, I,
0: I I was very late to bikes. I was uh, 2008, I got into bikes. So I, I'm very late to the scene.
1: Yeah, we had, we're had, we talking with John Kaczynski up there. And it was fascinating because there's a guy there called Dean who actually owns most of the most of the Kajiva five hundred motor uh, motor GP bikes and stuff. He's got his garage full of them and all the engines. Wow. He's like the world's foremost expert on them. And then they dragged him in to do this talk, and he was doing the talk there. Jack Bernacle was the uh, interviewer, mm-hmm. and he did three one hour sessions on the Saturday, three one hour sessions on the Sunday. Oh my God, Bruce. It was fascinating. He, I said to him, I said, "I've got to go and listen to this." He talked, and they did it from from the first hour, then rolled into second hour, into third hour. So they they sort of added to the next stage. They didn't start from the beginning every hour, so yeah. it's all fresh and all new. Ever six hours, he talked about his life in MotoGP. And the stuff he was saying was absolutely incredible. He was talking about Kenny Roberts when he was wow. riding for Kenny Roberts team, saying that Kenny Roberts basically didn't know how to set up a bike. All his <laughs> bikes were too and they didn't move. And he was, was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. It was such an interesting thing. And I found I talked to the organisers there uh, after the first hour, and I said, "I hope you're getting this on video. This is just fascinating." Yeah. And no one, no one did it. No one got no wow. it. So it's probably only about three or four hundred people actually heard what he was saying, and it was staggering. Absolutely stagnant. It's unbelievable. The year that he won uh, World Superbikes with uh, with Castro Honda, so his HRC Honda on the uh, V4 Honda, then it was. The guy that was, I forget what his name was, but the guy that was in charge of racing, the actual Honda Racing Corporation director, Mm -hmm. basically said to him, we're going to win this year and that's it. And he poured millions and millions of pounds into this bike to win. They did win the year. And John said the end of the year, he said, yeah, I wanted to carry on for the next year. And he got on really well with the director. And the director said, no. He said, don't do it next year. And John said, Papa, we've had such a great year. We can do it again next year. He said, no, we're not going to put any money into it next year. Wow. And they put no money into it and they never won again. So they literally, Honda literally went out to win the World Championship and money was no object.
3: And was then that was all it. The they've stuff done it. He was,
1: and... about. he was talking about this for like 20 minutes and he was telling all the details of how they were putting magnesium crankcases in and all the cheats they were doing. And it was honestly it was fascinating. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. But some of the X rays are brilliant to chat to, aren't they?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. De- do, do, I take it you follow the modern stuff as well.
1: Yeah, I do. But I find it a little bit. Um, yeah, I love watching my GP. I watch it all the time and World Superbike. Mm. So I was a real big World Superbike fan in the days when Carl Fogarty was doing it and Pierre Francesco Keely and stuff. Did you ever uh-huh. see the one about when we were in Assin and Pierre Francesco Keely when they had a real go and a punch-up with Carl Fogarty on the stage? No. He got taken out. <laughs> and Carl Fogarty won the race. He'd taken out uh, Pierre Francesco Keely going into the last chicane. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we were there I was there with my kids right opposite we watched the whole thing it was great yeah, Francesco Keeley is the most gorgeous Italian guy you know he, even I fancy him he's just lovely he was a fantastic <laughs> guy he was really fast really beautiful guy I've had the fortune I've been fortunate I've met him three or four times now he's a really great guy <laughs> and he completely lost at Carl Fogarty and he got knocked off Carl Fogarty won the race and then Francesco Keeley comes out with his pink bloody dressing gown on and his furry slippers and just started having to go on the podium at Carl Fogarty and he had a punch-up. It was just the best thing ever. Really? Yeah, oh, it was great. They were really good times. And when we used to go to Aston over there, you know, the Aston track, you would get 150,000 people over there watching yeah. the races, of which yeah. 100,000 were English people. You know, 100,000. Wow. Well, don't forget, in, in back in the day when Carl Fogarty was uh, racing World Superbikes at Brands Hatch, yeah, there were a crowd of 125,000 people up there. That's crazy, I mean, they were isn't it? Fortunate enough to be there in the grandstand. And it was just brilliant. I've never seen racing like in my life. And I don't think they wow. I don't think they've ever got back to that stage again. Certainly World Superbikes sort of dropped out of I don't know, it, it, it wasn't that popular, which is a real shame because mm. I mean Chaz Davis is won and you've got um uh forgot his Johnny name. Johnny Ray. Yeah, Johnny Ray, thank you. Seven yeah. times world champion for God's sake. Yeah. So it's incredible. And yeah. he never gets a mention. I know he got an OB, didn't you? On MBE. Yeah. Yeah, he did get sports points down to the year as well. Yeah, he did, yeah. In reality, yeah, yeah. you know, seven years on the road in a row, he's won the championship, and yet no one's really going to watch it.
0: Yeah, they should have so much
1: more exposure, shouldn't they? Yeah, unbelievable stuff. So I love racing. I love racing that long. General, but I did um, <laughs> back in the day. I thought to my boys, I took my boys Jake and Toby, and we went. Oh, we can do a bit of bike racing. So for me, as a dad, nothing could be more exciting than loading up a van going to do endurance road, you know, track day endurance stuff, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Not, not off-road. So it was road uh, road racing stuff. And we went around Europe to do a series called the No Budget Cup. So the idea was that the bikes had to be over 10 years old. There was a control tyre as well, which is Bridgestone, think, like Bridgestone Road tyre try and keep costs down. And it just gave people like us an opportunity to go out there and do it. You didn't have to have a licence or anything. And we had the old uh, Toyota High Send loaded up with the, uh, we had a Ducati 74 eight which we hoiked out to eight um was it uh eight fifty two or something Anyway, we load up the van on friday night and go and do these races absolutely it was so much fun both the boys were with me jake my son never ridden never ever ridden on a road on a track in his life first race we ever did was at the nürburgring f1 ring first wow. place we his ever first ever race first race we ever did yeah Gee first time we have been on track it never, never even done the track though. <laughs> so we turned up at this place and even though it was a 10 year old bike so that's not a. it was competitive and the guys are really really fast but it wasn't an expensive you know bolly mm-hmm. birds everywhere thing but it was just brilliant absolutely brilliant I remember Jake's face was just like Oh, my God, Dad, what are we doing here? And we're in the the pits there, all the Formula 1 cars are. And we went out there, pissing down the rain for the first first race. And off we went. And we didn't uh, finish the whole season. So I think it was 10 races we did across Europe. We did Sandport, Nürburgring, a couple of tracks in France in this (laughs) van. We only ever scored, uh, I think we scored five points in the very last event of the year, which was an eight-hour endurance race at Sanford. And I think we only scored those points because everyone else fell off. (laughs) <laughs> what well, a fantastic experience though That's amazing oh, was great. Best time of my life Absolutely loved it Absolutely fantastic i still got bits of that 748 In my uh, warehouse so I just look at it it's Sitting on my desk The ignition switch sits on my desk It's quite a place Oh but wow but, you? Know, did we you... weren't we were very good But it was just great fun really, really Did you fun. only do the one season Or did your boy carry on uh, racing? I did or... two seasons in a row So the first time I did 748 But everyone was riding then I think we were allowed 748 Because t- twins could go out to 800cc, I think, or 900cc. Mm-hmm. And right. if it's four cylinders, they was 600cc. So most people are out there on FZ600s and GSM, mm-hmm. you know, jigs to 600s and stuff. And the was a little bit slower. But I think really it was us that was slow, man. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you were talking earlier about bikes moving on the track. I remember the first day I ever went on track with my off-road experience, if you like, I was just thinking I was going to be the best rider ever because I could see me sliding into corners. Like I, saw, I could see drop drifting into corners. I yeah. would just be absolutely brilliant. Oh, my God. What an eye-opener. I was absolutely shit useless. <laughs> Honestly, it unbelievable. unbelievable. The two things that stagger me to this day about being on the track on a bike you know, it was Brands Hatch in the circuit we were at, and the two things: one was that the bike just didn't move, and I really thought it was going to move, but this bike just didn't move. And now I understand when people talk about inch perfect lines on tracks, or you know, centimeter perfect lines on tracks. Yeah. You completely understand. These bikes don't move. You know, if, if you aim them, they will to go exactly where you point them. And mm-hmm. It's it's just incredible. They don't move at all. And the other thing that staggered me is how good the brakes are. Because of course <laughs> on the road, unless you're in an accident, you know, or you, you know you're panicking, you never you don't know how good the brakes are, you never use them.
0: Yeah, you never Not grab a, a proper fistful, do you?
1: No, it's great. I remember going on the start finish straight with brands into into druids or into Paddock Hill Bend, sorry. <laughs> hit the brakes. I stopped so soon, I had to accelerate into the corner to carry on. (laughs) Oh my God, everyone's coming past me and I never never really got the hang of it. But uh, Uh, it's just staggering.
0: I love I love Paddock Hill. I love that. When when you get that corner right, it's beautiful. But obviously, if you get it wrong, <laughs> it's it's quite catastrophic. Yeah,
1: I'm I... going, um, we know the guys at California Superbike School. Uh-huh. Uh, Jane there, so we supply them with road skin trousers and everything for all their you know all their races and stuff. So they wear the yeah. picks and stuff. And um, she keeps saying to me, "Come come 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 do one of the California Superbike School things, aren't like, really? I'm not really her. I'm not really tracked. I enjoyed doing, like I said, it's great fun with the boys, but we're not. You should do,
0: honestly, do it. They're, they're a great setup. They're brilliant. They really are. Have, have, have you, you done ever done any of, of them? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've done um, all, well, I've, I'm up to level four and then you can do as many level fours as you like. You know, you, you've got to do level one, then level two, level three, and then level four onwards is really sort of bespoke training specifically for you. You know, they'll look at yeah, your riding yeah. and go, right, what you need to work on? And it's really good. It's really good. Best yeah, track awesome. training I've had, for sure. Yeah, Bruce,
1: I'm 62 now, man. I don't know, I even fit in my levers anymore. <laughs> but, uh, you yeah. know.
0: Yeah. Don't don't man. even go there. I, I don't fit into much anymore. Jeez, I've just had <laughs> I've just had a week in the canaries working. And uh, yeah, I've come back and tried on some of my clothes and it's like, oh bloody hell, that's a bit that's a bit compact in
1: Beijing, Austin. <laughs> that's why you need that stretchy trousers, mate. Yeah, straight straight, exactly.
0: Straight. Speaking of which, I was wearing I was wearing your kit over there. I was wearing I the, the um, so it's good the good Tyrannus idea. jeans, isn't that's it? And doing. the the hoodie.
1: Yeah, no, Mark. So was just saying. Yeah, we saw you saw you wearing that. It's uh, it's good stuff. It's great stuff. You see, I mean, from my point of view, I'm an old school rider. In that, you know, when I was a kid, so when I was seventeen, which would have be been seventy eight somewhere around there,
3: mm-hmm.
1: I remember one of my first bikes I had was a Suzuki GS750. Mm-hmm. You know, the old inline four. Yeah. But then we just ride around in leather jackets and jeans, and that's all we ever rode around in.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, we just it was never anything else. And you fall off, you just skin yourself. You know, so it was that was just the way it was. And, um, you know, he learned how, you know, he we on the road with that. And that's sort of what got me into the whole clothing thing in the first place. Because you start and then he like, oh, okay, that hurt. I've <laughs> still got the scars, like most of us all down, all down our arms. But, you know, the whole of safety thing for for uh, bikes and uh, clothing and stuff has come on so far, man. So far. I was laughing at a guy the other day. You know, the old GS750 was one of the first ones that came into the country. Mm-hmm. And it had spoke wheels on it in a single disc. So it was literally one of the first ones that came into the country. But, you know, in the, you probably, you're probably probably not even aware of this because you're new to biking, in inverted commas. But, you know, they had stainless steel discs on them, yeah? And it's right. absolutely true to say that when it rained, the disc brakes didn't work until they cleaned the water off them. And so really? what happened is you get this lag in your brakes. So you go along. And you Imagine you've got some pull out in front of you. It's pissing down a rain. You're riding along on your bike. Some pulls out in front. You hit the brakes. And they literally had to do a whole complete cycle to clear the water off the disc before it starts gripping. So you get this whole thing, and then down it goes. It's just unbelievable. It's like a really
0: bad ABS.
1: Oh, yeah. God, it was, honestly, it was like that. It was like that. And we, did, we got a lot of people talking to us. So I, think, I think it's a real shame because of the history of motorcycling in, in the sort of, not, not really the 60s, I think. It was more so in the 70s, the early 70s when we had, or late 70s when we had RD250s and the X7s, mm. which were capable of, Theoretically, 102 miles an hour, some 106 miles an hour, and the tires just weren't up for it. The brakes weren't up for it. uh Most of us riding then. I mean, when you did your test, you did. How long ago did you do your test?
0: 2008.
1: So you did. You did loads of. Did you have to do mod one and stuff? And no, no, uh, not for
0: me. No, it's none of that. It was just direct access, straight in. So it was right. like three days, four days intensive, and that was it. Right, uh, well, you, you literally go around a well, not around a block. You go for a ride with the instructor, and that's
1: it. Yeah, we well, get this. When I did my test there, so it would have been first one would have been seventy six. So I did my old, uh, so when I was born. <laughs> Thanks. mate. <laughs> <laughs> um, we went at it. So I went into I lived in near Seven Oaks at the time, and the test station was in Seven Oaks. So I pull up, got a crash on, and obviously got your gloves on. Yeah. He never looked at any of your clothing. Didn't matter. The guy came out wearing a raincoat or you know his normal coat with a clipboard. You yeah. pull up alongside it, right, so what we can do, Mr. Wilson, just check this, he just check the bike, the attacks, right, okay, fine, it's okay, fine, right, he said, what I want to do is I want you to ride down here to the corner, turn right, go down to the next junction, turn right, sorry, turn right, come up again, turn right, and then pull up alongside the kerb here, I'll wait here to see you do that. Yeah. So you literally pull off, and the guy stands there at the side of the road, on, on the pavement, sitting on the pavement, so you pull off, and as soon as you're out of sight, you know he's not going to see you anyway. You turn right, turn yeah. right, turn right, come back up. As soon as you're back in sight, again, you slow down, look over your shoulder, indicate pulling into the left. Fine. But thanks, Mr. Wilson. Right. Now we want to do an emergency stop. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump out in front of you somewhere around. You do the same triangle you did before, and somewhere I'm going to jump out in front of you and I'm going to hold up a newspaper. And at that point, I want you to do an emergency stop. Okay, well, we know the area. We know yeah. there's only one footpath that's going to dissect <laughs> the bloody triangle. So you go down there, no one's there looking, down there, looking at all the girls doing whatever when you're riding along. Come up, all of a sudden, footpaths coming up, look straight. <laughs> sure enough, the guy jumps out of the footpath, holds up the newspaper. Well, you know, he's to be there. I stopped like 50 yards before he's even there he's there. He's like, no, come forward, do that again. Thank you. And he said, right, I'll see you back at test station. Got back, yep, yeah, passed, and that was it. And that was, that it. was the limit of that. That was, honest to God, that was the limit of our training. So then, of course, from there, you could then go to 250, which is, like I say, capable of just about 100 miles an hour downhill with the wind behind you, but that was sort of speed, with brakes that didn't work, especially if it's raining, tyres that were next to bloody useless, and you let out on the road. And of all my friends in that time, virtually every single one of us, you know, sadly, someone lost limbs. You know, honestly, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it was carnage. I yeah, remember yeah, at 18, yeah. I went in to have my appendix out in Orpington Hospital and in the ward on Orpington Hospital, I swear to God, 60% of those people in the ward were motorcycle accidents. And all really? Of us were all 17, 18 years old. It was absolute mm. carnage. And what I'm saying is because the knock-on effect now is, so when we get mums coming in, their kids are going out in suits and stuff and they're buying a kit for them, the mums are petrified about yeah. the danger of bikes. But the danger of bikes really, in my mind, comes from that period when the mums were kids as well. And they knew that most of their friends were maimed or sadly died. It yeah. was absolute carnage. You know, I don't know, yeah, the, I don't know what the rates were. I haven't looked it up, but I would think they were huge. It's almost gone the it's almost
0: gone like to the other extreme now, where it's <clears throat> it's it's almost not complicated, but it's quite a drawn-out process. Certainly if you're below the age of what is it, 21 or 20 22, 23. Um, where you can just you can do you can come in and do direct a- uh, access das like I did. I think yeah. that's is that twenty three or twenty four you've got to be to do that now. Otherwise, like it's mod one, mod two. There's loads of different restrictions. And I think
1: I'm limit and- a- limited to. Horsepower-wise, is why well,
0: is it or is it cc now? It's, I, I should know all this, but I'm not entirely sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, there, there yeah. is. I think between mod one and mod two, there is a restriction on what what power output the yeah. the bike yeah. can have. Yeah, and I think that also has to do with age as well. I think, Um yeah. but, it's, it, but it's, it's, it's like the opposite now, isn't it? It's it's very hard for a youngster to get one-two wheels. Certainly you can get on a little one-two-five for sure. That's yeah. fairly straightforward. I straight think forward. it
1: really is, I think it's a little bit of, I don't know, is it overkill? Of, obviously not. No one wants to be hurt, but at the end of the day it seems to have gone from one extreme to the other. I remember yeah. my dad My dad probably saved me from having a serious accident when I was 17, 18. In that I remember when I passed my, when I was 17 years old, passed my bike test, I went, I went down to uh, Paddockwood Kawasaki. Mm-hmm. I wanted to buy a Kawasaki KH250 then. I was like, yeah, love Kawasaki. It's Kawasaki KH250. I think they were 450 quid or something anyway and I came home dad said dad I'm gonna buy a cage 250 I can get it on the never never not a problem and my dad went absolutely nuts said you can't ride that because at the time so many kids are getting hurt and yeah, he yeah. was the one that said to me no if you're gonna go he said I can't stop you riding a bike but if you're gonna go on a bike I want you to have a big bike because I think a big bike you're gonna be more just more cautious of maybe a little bit mm-hmm. more of you know you break more respect back for back. it yeah, absolutely. And that's when also I bought the 750 Suzuki and my wow. friends all had two fifties when there are RDS and all the rest of it. And it is true to say that when they were flat out at 80, 90 miles an hour, you know, flat on the tank, <laughs> everything flapping around, trying to get the speed out of it. You know, the old Suzuki was still, still within, you know, plenty within its limits, if you like, yeah. and because it was such a heavy bike. It was more like, yeah, okay, just take it a bit more easy. So I had a bit more respect for it, you know, and I think that probably kept me from smashing myself up completely. That's interesting
0: then. So the, the, the bigger the bigger sort of more powerful bike actually helped helped you rein yourself in?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think so definitely. And I mean when my hmm. kids first got bikes, I used the same theory as my dad. And um when my kids got bikes, we both got them the first bikes they both had when they passed were basically to Catty. 600 monsters hmm. and i bought them those because easy because you know they're getting cheap off ebay and i made we made sure we get not insurance write off as such but they were just wrecks you know and yeah, yeah. then i worked with the kids in the garage and painted them all up took them all apart made them nice and then off they went and they were cheap form of transport but great and again you know they were quite good but i remember fun enough in those days uh the 600 then he had to have restrictors fitted in 600 i think he could ride any bike but you're limited to 35 miles an hour, or something like that. And what right. they used to do was they used to put a disc in about this sort of size in the carbs, in the intake, the air intake of the carb, yeah? And then it would have a hole in the middle, and that restricted the air going through. Right. I remember Jake, <clears throat> my son again, used to go to his school on this bike, and he was coming back saying, oh, Dad, was horrible. <clears throat> I was going down the motorway, and I got stuck trying to overtake this lorry. It was really awful, yeah. and I couldn't get past it. I'm like, jeez, and I took this bike out for a ride. It was an absolute death trap bruce it was horrible what was a lovely bike 600 county lovely little bike fantastic absolutely ruined by effective by the government saying you got to put restrictors in it so i took him yeah. out
3: mm.
1: and i said to him he said I'm oh, to the police stop me i said if the police stop you without your you come and tell them to talk to me and we'll, we'll <laughs> discuss it because i would have absolutely gone to court on that and yeah, i would have yeah. made them ride it and i would have said to the police you ride that bloody bike and tell me because it would just store up all its fuel coming in and then it would sort of die and then yeah. all of a sudden it was like having a turbo all of a sudden the fuel was going whoa, whoa, it was just like, not control yeah. it, just a nightmare absolutely no power gutless so, so
0: obviously we're getting the gist of this you're quite handy with a spanner <laughs> how, no,
1: how, how, I like how is this company a spanner but um yeah, well the yeah, first yeah, time we met
0: you were you were like on your hands and knees on the ground working on a
1: working on a bike outside yeah. the shop weren't you yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and no, I love working my bikes. It's, it's a passion of mine. But I wouldn't say, you know, I'm not, you know, like Alan Milliard. I know mm-hmm. him quite well. You know, he's a guy who's just, I'm in awe of that guy. God, how he yeah. does that stuff. So from that point of view, no, nowhere near as good. But, you know, poodling around, tarting up bikes. Yeah, I love it. Really love it. I think you learn a lot as well. Is that self taught then, or, you know, uh, is, is there any background yeah. to it? No, no, self taught. Off you go. Remember when I had my Suzuki Seven Fifty was like? I just, I think part of me doesn't want to have a bike looking like everyone else's. It makes me yeah. slightly laugh now at the uh, sort of hipster type cafe racer thing coming into vogue now. In that Christ, that's what we were doing back in the seventies and eighties, yeah. man. Yeah. Because everyone else, you know, if everyone had a bike that looked the same, I was always the one going, "I'm to do that." i will spray it black and uh-huh. have a Marshall pipe on it in different shocks. They come and different shocks on it and took it apart and just to be different from everyone else, you know. So I've always been I really change everything. Hate stuff haven't been the same as everyone else. So what brought you, what brought, what, what were you
0: doing before the sort of clothing, before you got into bike clothing as a career?
1: What what were you doing before that? I ran a motorcycle courier company with Mark in London. That's ah, right. Is this so the stuff we're we, not uh, allowed to talk about? <laughs> yeah, Mark's got his board. Stop! Shush! <laughs> oh, they were, they were fabulous times, you know. So we did, um, no, funny enough, before that, I just tell you a funny story. So before that, I was actually windsurfing instructor out in Greece. And that, <laughs> okay. that was the best how, job ever. I did this happen. That was the best job ever, I tell you. I was actually I can't begin to explain what a wonderful life that was. You're sitting there in your cool shorts on a beach all day, tanned and browned and teaching basically topless girls how to windsurf. Sounds best horrible job in the world. But anyway, so we did that. And then what happened? No, how did you get into that? How did you get into that? Because uh, my mum and dad were always into sailing, and they had a friend that had a flotilla sailing company out in Greece. Right. And part of that facilitating flotilla sailing company had a windsurf school in, in Corfu. And they just need some to run there. Wow. And at that time, the funding was at the time part of the job description was I had to be a um, RWA windsurf instructor. Mm. And I, I never would never sail a windsurf in my life. I just thought it would be great. I'm going. What was I? 18, 19 at the time. Yeah, no, probably older actually. About 21 somewhere around there. So,
0: 32,
1: yeah, 33. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. Let's say early twenties. And um, so I wanted this job. Thought it's going to be a great job. What a great job. So. Uh, I went up to the, you know, you know the big reservoirs up by Heathrow Airport. There's big, huge uh-huh. reservoirs out there. Have you ever seen them? Yeah, Well, yeah. that's where the RY do some of their courses for learning how to windsurf surf instruct. Unfortunately for me, so I booked into a three-day course, and fortunately for me, for all three days, it was as calm as a mill pond. So the wind never blew. <laughs> so it's great. So I just it was all, it was then, for, because there was no wind, you couldn't really sail. And so it was all about instructing on a, you know, on dry land, teaching people. So I learned from there, and off I went. So when I went to... Corfu as a windsurf instructor I couldn't actually windsurf
4: <laughs> I knew I knew the theory of it I'm like yeah okay, I can do this it was great. I've read a book we're alright yeah,
1: I've read a book I can do that it's no problem see it on no the telly problem. yeah it's great it's a really good uh, good time out that for three or four years fun enough we got kicked out of there in the end when Greece joined the common market right so what happened then was in Greece uh, when they joined the common market, all the locals there basically knew as we were known as aliens. Although we were legally there with you know, with all the proper work permits, port police permits, all that sort of stuff. So it's all completely legal, but because they knew that the year after they joined the EU, that they would basically anyone could go and work there, they effectively mm-hmm. kicked out everybody working in Greece in not a nice way. When we were in Corfu, oh, wow. a lot of the girls, a lot of the girl raps out there, and the girls are working the bar, and the guys are working the bar. They were, lit and I swear to God, this is true. They were literally getting tired and feathered. One of the girls, they shaved the head off her. Shaved really? Her off her. Yeah, absolutely. Shaved her the head. Oh yeah, it was horrible. And what happened was they would gang up, and I'm sure, mo- I'm sure most of the Greeks are nice guys, you know, and they, you know, they do things for their reasons, and you know, it was a long time ago, but it was, mm. it was horrible out there. There were people getting beaten up. It was it was scary, really scary. Oh, wow. Yeah, I got wow. about five guys around me one night that basically said, if you're on the beach in the morning, you can have broken legs the next day. And it doesn't matter how tough you are, if you're in Greece and you've got five guys around, you go, yeah, okay. Probably yeah, you need to everybody. take the hand, don't you? Get out yeah, of Dodge. It wasn't, it wasn't like they'd front you up in the, in the daytime. It was always dark and you know mm. scary and jump out from behind you in the alleyway and stuff, so it's always it's it a bit gruesome. Blame. So, so yours, yeah, not back, back from, in the UK. Yep. Yeah, I came back from the UK, no job, 200 quid, no bike, no nothing. And a mate of mine called Rob, who I knew from school days, said to me, he's got an old XT500 in the garage. He said, I'll lend you this. Come work for, with me as a courier up in London. I went, yeah, okay, like riding bikes. And so we went up there and we worked as a internal couriers for Conde Nast Publications, which did Bow, Carson Gardens, Tatler, Right. And they used to have their own little office up on reception, and there was five or six in-house couriers there, and we used to work there, basically delivering parcels. It was really cool. It was really it was a great job. Really good fun. And in one day,
0: I- London every day.
1: Yeah, it was great. It's it good money as well. We used to meet out in Hanover Square and just go around and ride around the bike and uh, deliver parcels. Brilliant. And one day, Rob and I were sitting there going, we could do this ourselves. And fun enough, a lot of courier companies in London the same day started like this. And we can do our own courier companies, is a piece of piss. We know what to do. We can ride bikes and deliver. So Rob and I went down and got an office in Kenny High Street, a rented office, and uh, started up our own courier company. And um, I remember the first day we sat there and we looked at each other and went, the phone's like, hey, oh, <laughs> I'm like, why oh, are the phones ringing? And we went, like, oh, oh, well, we haven't got any customers. And we're so naive. We're sitting there going, yeah, we're just going to start a courier company. N- yeah. No idea what we're doing. We didn't have any customers. We didn't have any riders. We just had an office with the two of us sitting there thinking we were going to. You didn't I'd have any riders? <laughs> no, just me and Mark. Just me and, uh, just me and Rob. Right, and we walked up and down Kenny High Street, and we said, "Oh, we've got to go and find some customers." And one of our customers we've got actually stayed with us for years was a company called Eighty so They're a travel agents in Kensington right. Church Street. <laughs> Rob and I were walking around going well, go, into, go into here they must use couriers and so Rob literally pushed me through the door I fell flat on my face the girls in the office started laughing at me I go oh yeah what are you about? I said ah oh, we're couriers we're looking for courier work and they went what are you going to ride a bike you can't even walk through the door <laughs> and the next day they started using this and I think the first day that day we did 20 odd jobs or whatever it was between Rob and I and uh, just went wow. from there and wow. then finally we got Mark so when we got to the stage where yeah so the company's called Chauffer Post and funny enough you know Guy Willison? Henry Cole's mate? Yes, huh? Yeah, so Guy Willison was one of our couriers at our courier company. That's how come oh, I know Oh, really? Yeah, and his, his uh, motorcycle company runs is called 54 Motorcycles. The reason for that is because his courier number, we always have courier numbers. His courier number when he's working with us is Oscar 54. Right. And that was his courier number. And so when he left, when he started his company, he wanted to call it 5454 Motorcycles. And that's where it came from. So we knew Henry Cole from those days because he used to run a company called Movie Screen in in uh, West One. And that right. was one of our accounts. It all goes back a long, long way. But those days hey. were brilliant. And then Mark came along one day as they, um, we were looking for couriers. Mark came along as a courier. I remember he said to me within a couple of days, I can't earn any money here, you're not big enough. Because, you know, you need a big company like West One or addison Lee or whatever that had huge jobs. more, them Basically, you were paid per job. I think the minimum is mm-hmm. £3.50 or something. So if you do 100 jobs a day, you couldn't. You can earn whatever. But, um. Yeah. and then Mark came to work for two days and then left. Couldn't can't work <laughs> any money. He left. And then I phoned him up and said, God, this got on well with him straight away. And I said, well, come work for a van drive. We'll just pay you a minimum wage or whatever. And then he ended up being our controller. And uh-huh. I have to say he became one of the best controllers in London. Absolutely right. brilliant. When he left the, the company we had, I sold out for whatever personal reasons, tried to get out of it. He went to start up his own courier company called Direct Response. Mm-hmm. And so many riders went to work with him. He's got such a wicked sense of humour. He knew London. You've got no idea what it's like being a controller. I think people don't really understand what it's like. In the, You imagine this week, You've got 60-odd riders out there, yeah? Each 60 riders has got, say, four or five parcels on them. So what's that? 240 parcels. Mm, Mark yep. would know where all the riders were, where all the parcels were due to be delivered, how long it would take those riders to do those deliveries. And he'd be chasing them up going, uh, you should be in West 1 by now. Where are you? Why are you taking so long? You know, he's really good. It's, it's a real work of art being a, being a controller. And it's wow. very, very hard work. And Mark and I rang, I went to join Mark, didn't I? Went to join Mark doing that. And we ran that for five, six years. Yeah. And actually became really successful. The company ended up, we ended up turning over about three million quid, something like six couriers really? working for us. 20 car drivers, 20 10 van drivers. Uh,
4: yeah. drivers. Yeah, we're, we're, was... we're really
1: big. We had our own workshops there. We used to buy At one stage. We were the biggest. We had if you were doing like local work in London, so say West One West One, so if it's in the inner London centre. We used to uh, rent, because in those days, we used to rent bikes to the couriers. We used to have this system where we'd have little bikes to go around the middle. So we had Aprilia scooters for the middle, and we used to buy Aprilia scooters. I swear to God, we used to buy them by the Arctic lorry load. And we were the biggest dealer of Aprilia scooters in the early 80s in the whole of the UK. We (laughs) sold more scooters than anyone else. The reason being, of course, because the couriers would smash them up every bloody, you know, five weeks later, they smashed to hell. You know, just been and we got through them. It was just throwaway world, you know. You just got rid of so many of them. But yeah, we had huge. We were really big in that. And we had the GT 550s and stuff.
0: Being a courier seems to be it seems to be a real rite of passage for a certain generation of biker in the UK. There's like a, a lot of the journals that um I, I kind of know ish now, like traditional press journals, a lot of them started as couriers. And like I think there's one or two racers that have all obviously they've started as couriers, they've been Damon couriers. Yeah. Well, Diamond Hill being the most famous,
1: hasn't he? He's Damon Hill was. One. I yeah. didn't know that. No, Damon Hill used to work for West One Couriers. Really, turned yeah, was... up in the time when we were there. We, were there. we found we were there, and obviously went mean? on to become Formula One world champion. Yeah, Um yeah, it's a so wide passage. From there, then did that? Go, did you
0: go from the courier world straight into the clothing world, or was there another step?
1: No, I managed to uh, smash myself to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> I won't bore the whole story, but basically I had a really bad accident and. Um, I was in a wheelchair for about six months, something like that. Oh, wow. Anyway, it all collapsed, and I got out of the career industry just because I had a wife and two kids as well, and it was just going up to London and smash myself up. It's just a nightmare. Yeah. And basically, I was sitting at home in my wheelchair, wondering what to do with my life and start again. And um, I naively thought, because I like working on bikes, so I'm, I'm lucky and I had quite a nice garage, and I naively thought if I work in my garage, I could have a... Uh, I could have a computer screen in there and it would come up with, you know, and I could have a website and start selling motorcycle clothing. And then a little thing would pop up while I'm working on my bikes and go, you've got mail. Yay. Yeah. And I'd think, yeah, I've sold something. And I'd just take it out of the box and send it off and carry on working on the bikes. Yeah. And while very, at that time was when, really when the internet, and those sort of shops start, first started taking off. People are Sports bike shop, of course, now, but those shops were quite, I uh, something, I'm at 15 years, so I was way in front of them. But say, <laughs> 20, 25 years ago, somewhere around there, 20, 20 years, 25, yeah. Um, I started up this web shop. But what happened, what was happening at the time was that the importers like Veridax and Tranam, all the big boys, very quickly realized that they would piss off their dealers if they had a load of people like me working from a garage without rates and without thinking undercutting yep, them yep. and selling stuff on the internet. So really, they, they closed you down and they wouldn't supply unless you had a shop. Mm. So then from there, I went and got this little shop, which was honest to God, it is nobody in the toilet. It was a tiny shop. And I just thought, this is great. It was just meant to be an empty shop, you know, just a shop front, basically. So Mm. I'd carry on working my bikes at home and do that. And I'd go in, I think I used to go in two days a week, Friday and Saturday or something. But it was really just a just cheap really so I could get the accounts with Faradax yeah. and try and add yeah. stuff to do the selling stuff but what happened was people keep turning up at your shop I'm like really come on you're not because well, it turned out that was one of the bigger even though the a tiny shop I had quite a lot of clothing there were no really cloth- clothing shops in the area so then this stupid little shop ended up getting bigger and bigger and bigger and taking over the shop next door and upstairs and it just got quite big in the end and I remember one of the funniest things happened to me was, I was this guy walked in and he said oh you've got a great kit here it's a really nice kit he said damn um, have you got anything in different colour than black? I'm like, sorry. He said, Boy, well, everything in here is black. And I stood back and I looked, and he's right. Every single <laughs> leather jacket was black, the clothing yeah, was yeah, black, yeah. the crash helmets are black, the boots are black. And I realized then actually, just because I like black motorcycle jackets and what have you, is not necessarily the way to do business. You've got to do what other people want to Gator do. for everyone else, yeah. Yeah, so expand out. And then then fun enough, I had a guy, it's quite fun. This actually, the link to it is that um, what happened was there was a guy called Roger that used to run a company. He used to run a little magazine, a sort of A5 magazine, and he used to be Mm. called uh, Riders Digest. Riders Riders Digest, yeah. Yeah. And it was basically a courier magazine up in London. So that was all it was designed for. So couriers in London got Riders Digest. He used to hand them out on the corner for nothing. And then he... um, then uh we used to advertise it with old curry we used to advertise in there for curry so i've known roger for years and i thought to myself i'm gonna see if roger i'm gonna i thought of this sort of idea where i might be able to sell sell kit to couriers and then i'd courier it up to london so they could buy mm. it on my website and I'd, I'd take it up to london every day in a van and i got hold of roger to talk to him about this in the chat where about how it worked and he said have you ever done um kevlar jeans and i'm like sorry Never heard of kevlar jeans in my life, and he said, "Oh yeah, kevlar jeans." He said they're really great. It's an old guy called Terry Dan Canterbury that brings him in. Talk to him. So I got a hold of Terry in uh, Canterbury and said, uh, "Oh, you do dragon jeans," and he said, "Yeah." And he came up to see me. And bear in mind what I said earlier. If I haven't bored you and you've fallen asleep, but <laughs> you remember, I used to be a, a motorcyclist. It would be leather jackets and jeans, and that was yes. that was my protection. Probably still is to this day. And so for me to have a jean. Which I like. And then I had a Kevlar light and he was like, oh my God, this is brilliant. Absolutely loved it. And so I said to Terry, Oh, yeah, can I do dragon jeans? So I started selling, I started being one of his shops that sold dragon jeans. And what I very quickly realized was bear in mind at this stage there were dragon jeans were the only dragon jeans available. Yeah. Kevlar jeans, sorry, dragon yeah. jeans, the yeah. only Kevlar jeans available. And so no one had really heard of them, and there's a new thing taking off, and we just rode the crest of the wave. And what I found was that basically that a lot of shops didn't stock them, and actually dragon jeans had a vast range. I mean, think they had eight different camo colours, for instance. You wow. know, they had a huge range of jeans, and nobody wow. actually stocked them, and the same with the sizes. No one stocked all the sizes. And so what I realised was very quickly that if I got, um, if I had all the sizes in stock and all the colours in stock, then, you know, people are going to come to you. And people would travel for literally miles around. People came down to Ipswich to Tunbridge Wells, you know, because I had Dragon Jeans in stock. And Terry would always say to me every Monday, he said, God, every week you're buying out my whole stock of Dragon Jeans. I said, well, they're brilliant. And I think if you you believe in something, it's a lot easier to sell. I'm not very good at selling stuff that I don't believe in. You know, I need to understand it. I need to know why. I need to give you all the right answers why it'll happen, you know. So I started doing these Dragon Jeans. And I said to Terry one day, who at the time was about 70, I guess, I jokingly said to him, look, if you ever want to get out, Terry, let me know and I'll take over. You know, I'd like to be a distributor for Dragon Jeans in the UK. Mm. A couple of weeks later, he said, yeah, I want to get out. So wow. I did a deal with him and took over Dragon Jeans. And it's great. And from then we grew. And I remember the first the first time at the NEC that I was doing Zen, so Terry had been at the NEC doing his Dragon Jeans. We had quite a small stand. And he was also very wary of people nicking stuff at the NEC. So if you bought a pair of Dragon Jeans from uh, Terry at the NEC, what he would do was he would, take the sale, then you would write down all your details, your name and address and everything in a little book. And then that was it. So it took a long time to sell these jeans, you know. Yeah. And he did that. I said, Why are you writing it all down, Terry? Why are you writing down the book? He said, uh, oh, well, because if anybody nicks a pair off the stand, they don't necessarily get the right size. Then I'll know that if they phone me up and say, Oh, I bought a pair of dragon jeans at the show and uh, they have the wrong size because I exchange them, he can look up his book and go, well, What's your name? What did he buy? And straight away yeah. if they nicked. But of course it's so the whole process <laughs> down. And so I worked with Terry during the takeover period of doing dragon jeans. I worked with him for the NEC that year. Then next year I did it myself. And I was very much thinking of like, just pile them high and stick them on the shelves and just get through them. And we were so busy. And at that stage, Dragon Jeans, Mark Grant Matosch owns Dragon Jeans, still does. And he had a worldwide patent on knitted Kevlar lining for motorcycle projection in jeans. Well, by pattern, so no one could touch it, and it's great. Mm. You know, the first two years, honest to God, I can't, it was just so busy. We were literally, the stand was absolutely heaving, and we'd be throwing jeans across, we'd have five changing rooms. It was brilliant. Honestly, it was good. We would sell as many jeans as we could get. It was just incredible. And then one I remember second year, I think I was at the show. We got bigger and better, the stand looked better. And there was four guys watching me, or three guys watching me. And I thought, and they were in suits. I thought, what the hell are they doing? And they was they were watching me for an hour. And eventually I went over and said, Sorry, guys, I don't, you know, what are you doing? Why are you standing there looking at us? It turned out they were the directors of Frank Thomas, Frank Thomas oh, Group. Wow. Uh-huh. One of them is a guy called Steve Franklin. And um, he basically was watching. They were watching because obviously Frank Thomas at the time won the biggest, uh, you know, clothing manufacturer in the UK. Yeah. And they could see yeah. these things going off the shelves and they basically want a piece of action. Then the next year they came up with a gene, which is a Kevlar line jean. They didn't realize it had a worldwide patent on it. And so we had massive Steve franken about this, said, you can't sell those jeans, sorry. So why? Oh. So we got worldwide patent, out and make tupler. And the long and the short of it is, we were right, they couldn't sell them. But what they very cleverly did was they went to, they did a new jean. And instead of doing knitted Kevlar, which is a bit, knitted Kevlar is a bit like a flannel. So if you look hmm. in close, it's got lots of little tiny loops on it. So it's very, very good at abrasion. And what they did was they did woven Kevlar. And so that simple change from knitted Kevlar to woven oh, Kevlar wow. I them to do it. Patent. And now you see, I mean, how many people are there doing Kevlar jeans now? All over the place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Millions and millions and millions. But you know, I think I think the last count I counted something like 35 different manufacturers. But the thing is, though, you know, Bruce, I do, you know, I'm I'm really passionate about it, you know, and I've, i love this stuff. We did we lost Dragon jeans, I lost it as a distributor, fun enough, because we were just a small one, you know, one man band. I think as I was working with my son at the time. Um, In fact, both of my sons are working with me and somebody else. Um, So although we were selling in the UK and had a good turnover for for Dragon Jeans, and we were in something like 80 shops, we had every Hein Garrick shop was selling Dragon Jeans at the time. Mm. So I thought we were doing really well. But Grant McIntosh wanted to be bigger and bigger and bigger, and he went to Fowlers of Bristol, which are a big, Mm -hmm. huge distributor. I remember them. They probably got 15 sales reps on the the road compared to my one. And um, basically, they took away from me and oh. so i lost the whole distributorship and i was like okay great and it was a bit it was a bit it was a bit this nasty is not the right word but it wasn't it wasn't a very yeah acrimonious thanks mark <laughs> I told you he was sitting on my shoulder checking it was what, a bit Acrimonious what, split. what did you learn from that then uh i learned in the long run just work for myself yeah <laughs> you know you can't be beholden to people you know i work really hard for Dragon jeans you know i i like to think really that I wasn't the founder of it. Of course, I wasn't. I wasn't the one who pushed it, but I believed in it so much. We I mean, the, the turnover was huge. I mm. always said, I think one and a half million quid's worth of jeans a year or something. I mean, it's big. It got really big. And the funny thing about it was that when Fowler's took over, they never really grew because, to answer your question what I learned about it, if you get a big distributor, they've got so many other brands on. I don't actually yeah. know. Fowler's do Wise Kit. They do various other pieces, but of course, it's just part of their portfolio. So they don't really, it's just something the reps have got. Oh yeah, we've got this, we've got Dragon Jeans as well. Now do you want some of those? Whereas if me, it was the only thing I had really.
0: Um, yeah, you had a real vested interest in in the promotion of yeah, that product. Absolutely, yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. And if you're passionate about something, I like think it comes over when you sell, you know. Um, and the fund is slightly going off tangent, but on the side of Dragon Jeans, one of the things Terry bought him was Gervin Heated Clothing. And right. this was 20 years ago. And I'm like, and he said, oh, we do Heated Gloves as well. You, you, you bought the business so you can take those as well. I'm like... Bloody old door, one with these. Oh, wow. really a glove of my life. Yeah, but yeah. We'll, we'll go with that in a minute, maybe for that boy. But basically, went from there with dragon jeans to so went off and did that. Um but when we split, you know, it did, it hurt a lot. It really, it, it basically bankrupt to me. It was absolutely oh, wow. nightmare. It was, it was a problem. Well, the whole company was based around Dragon Jeans. Hmm. And actually what they did, which was a bit nasty, was they went to Fowler's at the same time, even though I had a sole distribution with them. They went to Fowler's. And the only reason I found out they were going to Fowler's was because a girl in Australia, a girl called Joe, who was the basically the picker and packer in the warehouse, if you like was chasing her up about an order. I said, Joe, where's this, uh, wait for an order to come through. She went into and said, oh, hold on, I've got two orders for the UK. I'm like, sorry, I've only ordered one. And she said, oh, one's got Fowler's on it. I'm like, sorry. And it's first knew of it, you know. So um, it ended up with Grant and I basically swearing at each other. I had a fight in Milan, that's a different story. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he sued me, I sued him, and it all ended in tears. So it was a nightmare time for me. But, oh, blame me. You know, anyway, you bounce up again and off you go. So from that, and fun enough, during that time, this was when Rhodeskin was born. Because mm. Roadskin, I wasn't the founder. of Originally, the original founder are? was a guy. No, founder guy called Aid, and he was uh, an ex, uh, uh, an ex Royal Navy guy. Also, he was the heavyweight champion boxer of the Royal Navy as well. So he's a, a big guy. He's a real, he's been a marmite guy. Really, eight. I personally always got a well with him. Never had a problem with him. I think some people he'd wind up the wrong way, and he didn't. But I remember he came to me at the time he was doing. Do you remember Grin Factor T-shirts? Yeah, they had the big griddies called Griddies. Yeah, that was eight. So eight had these T-shirts oh, he was wow. doing his Grin oh, okay. Factor T-shirts. So he's a really great designer. And uh, he was doing the T-shirts and he came to me when I was doing dragon jeans and said, look, Ian, uh, I want to do, because I'd seen him at various shows when we, was, you know, we just bumped into each other's shows, made, made friends. And he came up to me and said, do you mind if I do um, Kevlar jeans? i want to do Kevlar jeans. I said, no, you see, you know, it's no, I can't do anything about it. You know, there's, there's no patent on it anymore. You can do what you want to. A. It was a nice thing to ask me. You know, I thought it was, really, you know, it was a nice thing to do. Oh. Um, and he started up uh, Roadskin and that was probably 10 years ago. Is that, it's forward. only been going ten years. Yeah, something like that. Roadskin wow. Is, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And then fast forward three, four years ago. Three years ago. And aid, basically, during the COVID crisis, I, mean, I was seeing aid, and he was in a bad place. I think COVID was funny for a lot of people, you know, some people yeah. were a bit, Yeah. I was lucky that it didn't, it didn't work well for us, don't get me wrong, but it didn't affect me mentally and it didn't get on top of me. I thought, well, you know, we'll get out of this somehow or other. I think some people did get on top of, and it caused a lot of, a lot of trouble for a lot of people. And sadly aid was one of those. And at the time we were doing his pick and pack operation for him, so he didn't want the hassle of doing admin stuff mm-hmm. so all his jeans were in our warehouse and he would just send me an email of, I've sold a pair of jeans we'd send them out for him
0: you do all the logistics
1: yeah we did all the logistics for him and then he said and he would, we would talk about our designs and stuff as well because obviously I had the history from dragon jeans but um yeah he was in a bad place and I joking a bit like the Terry thing I said to him hey if you don't want to do it mate I'll take over for me any day and he literally phoned me up the next day and said yeah I want to get out wow and Although people are very anti our friend Boris Johnson, and I'm not gonna <laughs> get into politics, uh-huh. Boris is my best friend mate because he gave us a really cheap loan during COVID a business bounce back loan, and we paid 0.25% interest or something crazy. Gee was yeah, really totally cheap, yeah, which enabled us to buy out Redskin. So a, it was great for Aid because Aid moved on to do. We're still in touch, and I talking him last week, so um. Abe moved on and did house restoration he just wanted to slow his life down and get mm-hmm. something to wanted to do which is great for him then we took on road skin and basically you know started pushing ever since so we put new liens on so a lot of the stuff i've learned over the years i think Abe was a bit guess i say I still like aid i think he was a bit uh maybe boring in his in his outlook on it it was a very basic pair of jeans mm. did the job and that was it you know um, yeah, your marketing around road skin
0: now, certainly in the last couple of years, the marketing's right on point. You seem to be ramping uh, a lot of the different designs. You know, you, you've got a couple of different designs of jeans coming out now. You've now just got that
1: hoodie that's come out. Yeah, we've done a, we've done a few things. So what I've learned is, I mean, Mark, Mark my ex-curial mate, Mark, works with me now which is great so we both work together which is fantastic um and he's really good at logistics and stuff he's also good at the social media side which i'm crap at. i can't i said to him today <laughs> oh, i post this on facebook yeah oh, i and it's, it's not it's not my thing you know so mark does that so he's really good at doing that but between the two of us bearing in mind we've both been riding bikes as couriers for god knows how long you know we were you know we were riding bikes but there was no real decent waterproof clothing we'd have dusting yeah. bags underneath our jackets and motorcycle news on our chest to keep the cold off. You know, and that's where it was. So we know a lot about motorcycle clothing from a practical point of view. So mm. we started doing our own designs and thinking looking at the stuff they done well on them. We need this, we need that, we need to change this a little bit and look at the designs. And we did it. <laughs> and then of course we look at these jeans that we're designing and going hmm, they don't look great, do they? Because yeah. neither of us are fashion guys. We're like oh, okay, so we're good at the practical side and what works technical yeah. side if you like but come fashion side we weren't really great at making things look good and um, we bumped into a lady called Sue who used to be a designer and she worked with Vivian Westwood amongst others and she's brilliant she works locally and she now works with us as a consultant on design side so wow. she's putting changes in like the fun love like the um, hoodie that you're wearing in Spain So that was quite a baggy hoodie when it was with aid so it's quite a baggy almost like a bomber jacket type thing. Yeah. And um, protective wise, absolutely brilliant. You know, it's a really great jacket, but looks wise, maybe a little bit baggy and a bit old fashioned. And mm. so Sumi got hold of that. She took it in at the waist and did this, put pads on the shoulders, changed a few things. Then we put the design in, you know, where you put your thumb through the thing on yep. the sleeve. Yeah. Well, that comes actually from, a, it wasn't my design, but it came from a Dane jacket I used to have as a storm cuff, which is, it works so well. It just works yeah. so well. And I've said to Sue, well, look, let's put this in. Let's put this into the, into the, into the hoodie because it works really well. I know it does. And so she designed it in for us and yeah, it does work really well. So between the three of us, between me, Mark and uh, Sue, me, Sue me. Now now my wife's sitting here, she's going, what about me? Yeah, yeah.
0: I've got to admit, I was sat here going, mention your wife, mention your wife.
1: (laughs) Nick does
3: the,
1: no, Nick does all the, uh, all the hidden stuff that keeps the company rolling basically stops yep. me spending money on stuff. So she does all the <laughs> accounts side of stuff, does the localized a lot of the shows and stuff. So we wouldn't be here about Nick Either. I'm sorry, Nick.
0: <laughs> on on the styling, I've got to say this to you because it, it made my it, it made me feel quite good. I was wearing that hoodie and a couple of different people said that looks really good on you. They were like, that actually looks a bit slimming. It's quite slimming. I was like, bloody hell, it must be good then. But yeah, quite a few <laughs> quite a few people commented on it and said, you know, the, the, the design of it is is really good.
1: But it's funny you say that because it's exactly when we were talking Sue about it and we, were, we I was saying, you know, it looks a bit baggy and, you know, bear in mind I'm 62 now so I'm getting bigger boobs than my wife. My belly's getting a bit yeah. out there, you know, so I sort of lost my shape a bit. But I uh, said to Sue me, you know, it's good that, uh, I want something that really just makes you look better, you know. So when you put mm. it on, you feel like, a, not a Power Ranger as such, but, you know, you just feel like it looks good. And so that's why that's why she changed the design of it. And we took yeah. two or three attempts to do it. And then when she was starting to make me look good in her mirror, I thought, yeah, this is right. You know, we're getting <laughs> the right way now. And that's what she can do. You know, she's absolutely brilliant. So the, she's plainly doing,
0: doing something right because you've got like you've got people like lady harley who's you know a beautiful young woman she's wearing the stuff and looks amazing in it and then you've got fat old geezers like me wearing it and you know you, you feel great in it so uh, nice
1: we're, really, we're really excited about it but you know the, the thing is as well it's it, it works that's the point yeah. if it can look good and it works and it's brilliant and we've got people that say to us all the time that they're quite happy to wear their jeans in um in the in the office and stuff, found our like yeah. Steve Parrish got a pair of jeans, and he wears them for golf. He likes wearing golf. Now I'm not a golfer, <laughs> but at the end of the day, if you can wear the jeans wearing golf, then they're, they're a comfy pair of jeans, you know. And they didn't think they you were like
0: oh, jeans in a golf club.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you. Well, a, I'll send you a linky sentence. It's right. I sorry. So
0: what I was interested in is uh, obviously I was fly. I flew out there for. I flew out to southern Spain a couple of weeks ago and then the Canaries last week. And I was interested because I'd heard a couple of uh, people saying that they'd worn their like Kevlar jeans trying to get on the plane and they had issues going through security with them setting off various different things and getting frisked uh, i'd heard that, that that people were having issues going through security so i thought oh i wonder i wonder if these will cause an issue so i wore the i wore my hoodie and i wore the the jeans and my my uh speedy sort of casual boots like
1: speedos, then. <laughs>
3: speedos yeah, yeah just <laughs> yeah, in case <laughs> yeah.
0: and uh, yeah no problem at all straight through
1: and uh, like they were fine comfortable on the plane it was all good yeah. The great thing about them is you can, you can wear our kit just as casual stuff, you know. So yeah. we do do a ride. I remember we had this thing with Adventure Bike Rider where mm. a lot of guys are wearing, um, textile stuff, you know, when they're on their adventure bikes. Yeah. It looks cool. It looks great. And it is good stuff. Don't get me wrong. But then, the if you've done your ride down to the south of France, you've done your ride down to the bottom of Italy and then you, you're, you know, going around locally, wherever it's the bars or sightseeing, whatever, you don't want to necessarily be in your, in your, in your, um, all textile stuff, you know, yeah. Gore-Tex textile is hot. I can remember being in uh, Milan on my Multistrada, 42 degrees. Jesus Christ, I nearly boiled. Yeah. And I was wearing the time, I was wearing textile, um, you know, Gore-Tex stuff, and it's just too hot. And the an yeah, interesting it's thing as well up. is, surprisingly enough, if you actually look at a lot of the A ratings on it with textile kit, it's quite low. It is it, quite yeah. low. You know, you're looking at A's and, and double A's. Of course, some is triple A as well. But the majority of it is double A, and quite a lot of it is single A as well, which is...
0: I had uh, Ed Miles um, and Mick uh, win from um, Halversons basically on, and uh, Ed used to work for Rucker, so I was asking him about uh, this sort of stuff because obviously Rucker, even the top of the range Navala suit, like two grand for the jacket and the the trousers. I think that was single A rated, but what he was saying is that that is is this right that. A company has to, they have to pick which rating they want to be tested for. So- Mm. A lot of the time, they'll go for the lower rating just in case, like they'll go A rather than double A, just yeah, in absolutely. case they don't get the double A one. Because it's not a case of, well, we've tested it in your triple A or we've tested it and you're only an A. So that's the one you get. If you if you go for double A and you don't make double A, you don't even get A, do you? It's just no, that's right. Gone. That's
1: exactly correct. So a lot yeah. of people, I remember with Dane stuff, which I love Dane stuff, it's, mm. uh, it's a Dutch company, they make a lot of laminated Gore Tex stuff. Yeah. But I was talking to Falco, who owns Dane, and when it was all Coming into, into place, the double A and the triple a and everything else, he got the whole of their range done as single A because he knew that everything would pass. So it's yeah. easy for him to do that and just go, right, let's just get everything done as A first. Mm-hmm. And then as time goes on, we'll then bring in the double A's and the triple okay. A's and stuff like that. Yeah. But that to be, you're touching on the uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a passionate the thing bear. about this. Yeah. You know, I, do, I completely understand why the, why the, um, the levels are in there, you know, the A, the double A and the triple A. And it does make sense. Well, You know, the idea is you walk into a shop and it's easy for Joe Blogs to go, what's that rating? Oh, it's a double A, that's good. Triple mm. A, well, that's even better. And that's it's, it's basically simplicity. That's how the way to do it. The extraordinary thing is that with the testing itself, it's so, I don't know, there's so much to it. The biggest problem we have in the industry at the moment, in my opinion, is that basically you've got a lot of companies out there, saying about slide times and being 11-second slide times and this-second slide times and this. Second slide times and, this. Yeah. and in reality, that's their whole selling point. And we have people come to us at shows saying to us, you know what's the slide time on your jeans? What's the slide time on this? And you want to go, well, let's just break this down a minute. You know, I mean, for starters, the slide time, what they, they don't take into account any of the testing places. We use Sartre, which is a UK one, but there's a number of, I think it's three different testing places. They've all got to be ISO certified to test equipment anyway. So mm-hmm. I think it's three in the UK. There's what Spain, Italy, all over, all over the world. So you can get them tested anywhere to the same levels. Yeah, they all use the same tests. It's all yeah. ISO rated, the testing stations are ISO rated. So you'll get the same level which is great. But the thing is, the testing itself is so ambiguous, if you like, that it makes a bit of a joke of it. I mean, I I say this because we um, we test our jeans. We did a drag test on our on our videos, on our video. And we actually did it down at Chatham Dockyards.
3: Mm. So
1: there's a big old warehouse down there and we hired the warehouse for the day. We got the local hog club to come down and drag us up and down the old warehouse there to test that. And to be honest, we were doing it really for more of a sort of filming thing, just for a bit of media stuff. But what we realized was very quickly, which they don't take into account at Sartre or, or any of the testing stations, is the difference in weight makes such a huge difference. So Stuart, uh. I weigh 16 stone, Stuart weighs 13 stone. So not a lot of difference, really. Don't get me wrong, I wish I weighed 13 stone, but I don't. But you're talking <laughs> three stone. so it's not a huge bit of difference. Do you know, same speed, same jeans, same road surface, everything exactly the same apart from Stuart was 13 stone, and I'm 16 stone. We went the same warehouse the same time. He could do the run three times in the same pair of jeans. I could only do the run twice in the wow. same pair of jeans there's a big big difference you know I'm there nearly really 21 is. stone <laughs> well exactly you know people say to me i've got one of my friends who's he wants a size 54 gene and we are saying to him and i'm saying i can't make it for you because at the end of the day it's not that weak. we haven't tested it to that we don't know what's going to happen yeah. we really don't you know and that size we got to 46 any 46 waist anyway and to me yeah. that's really pushing the limit because i know <laughs> that a guy 46 waist is going to be what 20 20 something stone
0: I was a 42 I you got 42, got 42.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah
0: that is baggy in the waist but yeah, that's to get yeah. me legs that is to get me legs and calves in but yeah there ain't too much room I'll give you that
1: yeah but they don't take into account the weight of the person and the other yeah. thing they don't take into account which I find extraordinary is the road surface yeah so and yeah. one of the manufacturers out there at the moment is quoting 11 and a half second slides time and when you actually look into the how it's done they're using a 10 stone rider Yeah. The ten stone rider in all his kit, the guy probably weighed eight stone. It's
0: Crazy that there's not, they don't like use a crash test dummy or something, you know, like a, a set standard weight, just weight it like 15 stone or something. 16 yeah, I stone. think to
1: be fair, there's no, it, it's a very difficult thing to do, you know, and it's but mm. watch loads of, loads of stuff on the internet about people trying to do it. And it's very difficult to actually, to actually replicate it, you know, because at the end of the day, if you have a crash, what's gonna happen is you're gonna roll, you know, we call it 11 second slide time. When was mm. the last time we have an accident on the road and slid for 11 seconds, yeah, I know. without? without in a curb or a car or a traffic bollard or whatever, it just doesn't uh, and it you're is. going
0: to be going some to slide for 11 seconds. You're going to have to be going a heck of a speeder. You're not.
1: Know? Well, the other extraordinary thing is they do two tests. They do a downstrad test, which effectively is a piece of polished concrete which whizzes round and round and round, and they drop the mm. uh, they cut the gene material into. This is for the abrasion test here. Yeah? They cut the material into three when they drop the sort of 3 prong thing on the on the spinning yeah. disc. Yeah. And however long that disc takes to stop is what they then quote as the their slide time, yeah? Okay. That's polished concrete. Well, have you ever written hmm. on polished concrete in your life?
3: No,
1: no. And the reason for that is because it's a German machine, hence it's called Damstrad, and in Germany, most of the roads are made of concrete. So, you know, mm. if you take that test then into the UK where none of the roads, well, some, but very few roads are made of concrete, and then you add in shell group, for instance, cross full of yeah. shell groups, going to rip your ass through. Potholes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But the other yeah. test they use is a, strad, uh, sorry, it's a Cambridge test, which is like a sanding belt. Mm-hmm. and basically again so they do that is tougher so i think it's equivalent sort of 80 grit or whatever it is. i can't remember exactly what it is the extraordinary thing for that is the speed of that is uh 7.6 meters per second the actual belt spinning around yeah so break that into miles an hour have a guess
0: 7.6 meters per second um good god Come on, do basic maths 7.6 meters per second times that by six, seven, six, three. So it's about 400 meters a minute times that by times that that by 60. Uh,
1: uh, what's that two and a half thousand,
0: two and a half kilometers? No, 20, 25 kilometers. What's that about 50 miles you an hour? No, you're close, 50, 17
1: miles an hour. 17 miles an hour. I was going to say but, 60 miles an hour, right? Yeah, but, but you know, and again, it's what I'm saying. And I say, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not having to go to Sartre at all, of course not. And I keep saying Sartre is unfair. Any of the testing places, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 70 miles an hour, Christ's sake! When do you fall off a 70 mile an hour? Yeah, exactly. I think I'd yeah. fall off my bike a 70 mile an hour purely from losing balance. Yeah,
0: you know, so even very, even if it was 30 miles an hour, like yeah. that, as a biker, you'd think, well, you know that that's that's quite slow. Surely you'd want well, to hit
2: 60,
4: yeah, very, 50, 60 miles an hour, well, wouldn't all these, you? All these rules from about, they're not, yeah, they're but not, it's very arbitrary. It's all very so, arbitrary. And I think the thing is, at least
1: people know that it was A, AA A or AAA, it gives them a it gives them some sort of guidelines to how good it is, you know. But what yeah, I'm saying yeah. is ultimately you can't you, to, to recreate a road accident virtually possible. Mm, and funny mm. enough, when the when the law, when the new standards first came out, there was always, I'll get this number wrong. I think it's EM13952 or something. But anyway, there was already a standard in place for motorcycle clothing. So for instance, the police had to use this standard. And that's been around for years. And funnily enough, they're dropping that standard this year, I believe, or next year. But that standard was higher than the A, AAA, and was higher than the AAA rating.
3: Yeah, and the reason why the
1: the manufacturers wouldn't make it to that standard because it cost them too much money. Mm -hmm. They dropped it, and now at the moment they're trying to get it pushed through. For they're they're looking at getting a new one done as a four A and five A rating as well. Wow, and the five A realistically will be about as good as the old the old one that they dropped, but apparently, so that just things are here on the grapevine, is that European manufacturers don't want it because oh, it's, a, it's a UK thing that they're doing. It's nothing to do with Europe, obviously but now out of the EU. Mm. So it's a UK one. They're trying to push it through, but the Europeans don't want it because that means that UK stuff will be better than European stuff, which then mm. gives the UK a better chance of selling to Europe. So yeah. You know, there's a lot of politics in it. But the bottom line is, it's is, it's better than nothing. But I just hate this thing where people say, how far can your jeans go? I'm like, really? How much do you weigh? What's the own surface? Is it raining? You know, there's so many other questions. And they always ask the same question. And that's just down to marketing.
0: So, Mark, we can't really hear what you're saying, Paul. You, you'll need to
4: come well, he into comes, camera. Here he comes. To... are <laughs> you doing? Bear in mind, Bruce, that um on the testimonials we got on the website that are volunteered yes. to us by 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 people that have used our jeans, yeah. it's going on slide times, you know, there's one that's gonna come up shortly where a guy um had an accident and he slid for twenty meters in our jeans in double A in the in the Easy Riders. Wow. And uh, didn't have, didn't rip the jeans. He said they wore, but they didn't rip the jeans at all. He, had, he said he had a little bit of a, a mark on his knee from obviously the knee armor um, mm. uh, pushing down from where he crashed. But he said they, he, you know, this is him telling us. They, they, he slid for twenty meters. He reckons, mm. you know, so we've got plenty of testimonials that say people slide for a very long time. Mm. Although we, the way we look at it is ultimately, you know, we know they'll protect you. The chances, I'm not disputing the guy, but the chances of sliding, unless you're on a racetrack, you know, you will bo- you will bounce and bob all over the place. You're going to furniture, jeans, aren't you? Yeah, mm. that's where the jeans come into their element because they're, you know, they're AAA rated woven uh, Kevlar and denim. So mm. with the bouncing and bobbing, you've got a greater chance of not actually hurting yourself. Sliding for 20 meters is bloody amazing. But um, you know, I guess this is why I get a bit uptight about
1: the slide time thing. And it is—it's—it's it's everywhere. It's all over the internet. It's all over people's adverts, competitive adverts, and stuff. The extraordinary thing is, and there are manufacturers out there that have jeans that are rated, but if you actually read the specs, it's only the de- it's the material is rated to A or double A, but the garment isn't even tested,
3: mm. which means so all the stitches are which means yeah, it's yeah.
1: just going to burst open. So it's a yeah. real nightmare. But it's something that road skin, we you know, we take it seriously. So we try and make the best looking things, thanks to Sumi, but theoretically they're also uh, you know they're the tested as well.
4: The other thing is, Here Bruce, is you can't you can't, can't stop people having that. Yeah, nobody wants to have an accident. We don't want people to have an accident. We don't want people to put the genes to the test. But ultimately, we 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 ride the bikes ourselves. We know what we want. We know what works for us. We use the best possible uh, material we can to make the genes be as, as uh, abrasion resistant as they possibly can be uh, at this moment in time. And, uh, you know, the way we look at it ultimately is... If we're willing to, to ride in it, <laughs> then in the test yeah. If we're willing to ride in it, um, then then we know that we will put our, our money where our mouth is. We will always go. I know Ian was talking about how Dane and the others, not just not just Dane, but others, would always go for the the rating, the A double A AA or triple A that they can know they can get away with. We will always push ourselves the other way. We will try and get the triple A. We'll put ourselves mm. in for a triple A, and if we mm-hmm. fail then we'll try and figure out why we failed, try and figure out what we can do to make it a triple-A. If we can't make it a triple-A, we'll then put it in again for a double-A rating. So we won't hmm. go for the easiest option. We'll go for the hardest option because that's what makes it a better garment. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. Makes sense, really, doesn't it? You, you, you're sort of getting one above the competition then if you can, you can get that triple-A double-A. Well,
4: you
1: tell them yeah. the Enough. We've got our new gene coming out now, which are actually getting tested to the old ratings, which are going so theoretically, it would be a five a five star rated gene, and we, get, and we don't have to. There's no reason to do it, but we want to do it ourselves to see if we yeah, can yeah, make yeah, country yeah. gene, which is basically a five star rated gene. It'd be well, five A rated gene, sorry, which would be good. you know I don't think those stands will ever be out there, but they're talking about. And let's see if we can make the gene for it, mm. and yeah, it's quite exciting. But just one more thing on the the whole thing as well, and this I find extraordinary. So did you know that you can get a, so AAA is the is the highest rating at the moment? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But you know that they don't, you can use a, the level one armor in AAA rated jeans. So if I with really? level one and level two, level two uh-huh. being the better one. I was staggered to find, because I actually found out, because we only use level two, because to us it's like, well, that's the best you can get, use level two. <laughs> and I was talking to the guys at Sartre at uh, the Milan show recently just to get a few ideas. I like, I like understanding how they test things so we can then think, okay, well, we can do that, we can do that, and sort of push the limits a bit. And I yeah. was asking about armor. And I said, I don't understand why there uh, are genes and they've got their A rated genes, but they're only using level one armor. They said, yeah, we allow that to pass. And I'm like, but that's crazy. Yeah, to that me, doesn't
4: make sense. Well, no, exactly. It doesn't make sense because it's sinking the ship for an eighth of tar. If you're producing these AAA rated jeans, why wouldn't you put double uh, level two armour in them? Yeah, it's like putting you know? like budget
0: Chinese knockoff tiles on a Lamborghini, isn't it? What's, yeah, Why, why would you do that? Yeah. Absolutely.
4: Yeah. But this is what I was saying. You do your own research. Uh, it's incredible. It's just unbelievable. Wow. And the majority
1: mm-hmm. are using single, like, sorry, level one armour. Joe, as,
4: as a as a
0: consumer, um, all, all this sort of stuff sort of i've got to admit was totally not on my radar at all i i just sort of went for my textile suit i was like everyone kept telling me rucka were so damn good and i was like well they're expensive as hell everyone talks about them everyone says they're creme de la creme and i bought them and i I bought them with no research into like slide ratings armor anything like that none of it but now having had a few people talk to me and and say, oh, you might want to have a little look at this and that. Now I do look at all this sort of stuff. And that was how you guys came on my radars because I started seeing the ads for road skin on like Instagram and talking about your double A AA and AAA rated jeans and everything like that. And I was like, oh, right, okay. So that sort of led me towards you guys. And then obviously Mark dropped me a line.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is why Mark and I, and and of course Nick, we love doing the um, we love doing all the shows. You know, we're doing yeah, 18, yeah, yeah. 18, uh, 18 shows Stroke Valleys next year. We've got a full season. We're going into Europe, which is great. Um, and we do it because we love talking to people, and we love explaining. Mm-hmm. So people come up like yourself and go, "Well, what's his life time And go, "Hold oh, on a minute, <laughs> pull we're up for seats, get a seat, get look. yourself a drink." Yeah, <laughs> we can talk about, it. and we do we do talk a lot about it, and we do go on about it. But we're passionate about it, you know we believe in it, we love our kit, and it, you, you learn a lot as well. You learn an awful mm-hmm. lot from people. So we've changed some of our designs. Fun enough, we had an inside pocket now to the uh, hoodie that you've got. Because someone at the shows, in fact, three or four people at one show said, oh, it's a great jacket. I love it. You put an inside pocket so we can put a phone in. And we, why do not we have an inside pocket for phones? phone? So <laughs> next lot's come out of a pocket on the inside for phones. Right. So we literally you know, and that was directly from from people talking to us and telling us. Yeah, so feedback all the from someone. Time. We change stuff nice. all the time for things like that. So uh Excellent. times.
0: Right, listen. We are an hour and a half in, and we've not started questions. There's a few questions for oh, us to no go through. No worries, no worries. Do you do you need a do you need a pee break or anything like that?
1: I, need I will have a quick wee actually. Yeah, this is no nice, worries. It? But no, <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> <the bottle>. See <laughs> you in a pee break.
0: A Me again, folks. Just a short one. This we are also sponsored this month by. The Influencer Store. If you go to teapot1.com, you'll go to the shop, check out any of the merchandise that I have available. That is all handled by the Influencer Store right here in the UK. I've got a quick bit of blurb to read out for them, and that is... The Influencer Store helps you build your brand big or small, providing you with a solution and apparel. We help you to increase your fan base while supporting you with starting your own influencer clothing line with nothing more than just an idea or design, and there are no hidden costs. For more info, come check us out at the or drop us an email at online at for more information. Make sure you check them out, folks. Head to teapot1.com, head to the show, head to the shop. And you'll be supporting both the Teapot One channel and the podcast right here if you buy anything from the merchandise. So a massive thanks in advance to you and a huge thanks to the Influencer Store. And we're also sponsored by Ultimate Add-Ons. Now Ultimate Add-Ons, they make dustproof and shockproof mobile phone uh, cases and action camera mounts. They will fit just about every single bike out there. Me personally, I always use the Helix strap mount because it means I can easily attach that to just about any bike that I'm uh, riding at that time i can jump on and off on bikes and just easily unscrew the the strap whack it on the next bike tighten it all up and off i go it's very versatile i've had no vibration issues affecting my camera using the helix strap that's the one that i will stand by and swear by been using it about five years now So again, if you head to ultimate add-ons, that's ultimate with A-D-D-O-N-S, UltimateAddons.com. If you use the code teapot110, so T-E-A-P-O-T-O-N-E with the number 10, you'll get 10% off. And lastly, folks, I just want to say a massive thank you to you. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast, for watching the vids, for commenting, for liking, for sharing, for following and subscribing. It all is a massive, massive help. We're on a bit of an upturn at the moment. The podcast is gathering momentum. The channel is certainly doing really well. So a huge thanks to everybody who's been involved with that. If you want to go that extra mile, Then you can always buy some merch over at teapot1.com or if you really want to get committed, you can join the clan over at patreon.com forward slash teapot1. All links for everything are down below, folks. I appreciate any support in any form you can give. All right then. That's enough with the bag and bowl. Let's get back to the podcast.
2: Oh,
3: yeah, you're Hello. right. i <laughs> the long
2: suffering who apparently had nothing to do with the company ever. Yeah, I time. know,
0: I know. <laughs> I, felt, I felt like getting a bit of paper and writing it out, just going like, Nikki ain't mentioned, Nikki.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> none taken, none taken. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we have a... Were you were you at the shop when I... Yeah, I think you were at the yeah, shop yeah. the second I time think I came, were I
2: think I came in when... Yes, yeah, I did, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, it just popped in. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, I was well impressed. I, I wore them out in Spain, um, southern Spain, and the temperatures ranged from like 10 to, I think, 24 degrees there, yeah. and it rained a bit right up in the top of the mountains, and it was lovely. It was really nice. It kept me warm. It wasn't too hot. And then when I went to Canaries last week, it was... It got to thirty three degrees at one point. Nice. <laughs> like my wife sending me messages, going, "It was minus four here yeah. this morning." <laughs> I'm like, "It's thirty three here," and yeah, it's great. Loved it. Loved yeah. it. I'm just washing all the kit now, actually, because yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> we've had so many positive um, reviews on the on, on the hoodie. It's been really? brilliant, actually. Yeah. It's been absolutely brilliant. And when we went to the NEC, because um, as Ian said, when you go when you do the shows, that's when you get a chance to actually speak to the public and tell you what they're looking for. I mean, yeah. Ian knows, you know, we all, we're all riders, I ride a bike, you know, we've all got our license. And we all ride. So we sort of know what, what the consumer wants, but... Mm-hmm. There is always something that somebody can tell you. It's a learning process the whole step of the way. And yeah. when we do the shows, it's lovely. But the the comments we get from, uh, with people walking past at the NEC go, I've got your hoodie. It's brilliant. They yeah. love it. They absolutely love it.
0: And it's amazing how, I was saying to Ian, how, how the brand seems to appeal to so many different like ages and types of biker, like, yeah. like from... You Know the uh, uh, is it Lady Harley? I've yeah, seen on, yeah, yeah. on yeah. Instagram, yeah. So, you, yeah. you you know, you've got young ladies right through to you know people like me, and and everyone in between seems to yeah. like it. Well, I
2: and think that, yeah, exactly. that's what we're trying to do because it was when we took it on, and obviously, Ian told you the story of that. Um, we, we wanted to develop it, we wanted it to grow, and we wanted mm. to appeal to more people. And we often had people at the shows saying, um, they'd obviously bring their wives along to the show and all and the, the wives would be the riders and say, well, have you got anything for us? And it's like, okay, we need to extend our range. Yeah. But it's such, it's quite a slow process because as Ian said, you you can't just say, oh yeah, okay, we'll just do a ladies' gene." And there you go, there's a ladies' gene. You've got to go mm-hmm. through all the testing. And it's
3: yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. honestly, at the moment from concept to getting it out there is a year. It takes us really? a year. Yeah. It's wow. a year from the moment we say, OK, let's do a lady's legs, the leggings that we do mm-hmm. at the moment. So from that from that moment, we say, OK, let's do a legging to, to actually getting it out on the shelves, as it were, is a year. It's a year of, of production, getting them getting them over um, going, OK, we're not happy with that and doing tweaks here and there so there might be three or four um samples coming over and then of course you have to go for the testing um Mm -hmm. and that takes it's now taking nearly six months to do that so it's such a long process so you know when people say oh can you do a bigger size or can you do this it's like yeah but it's not going to be tomorrow (laughs) because see you next season yeah yeah, (laughs) there is such a lot involved but yeah i'm really glad you're pleased with it anyway i don't jacket. ian's come back.
0: (laughs) nice to chat to you Tara. <laughs> <laughs> right, sorted. Sorted. Right. Welcome back, folks. Right. First off, we'll head to the clan over on Patreon. So it's patreon.com forward slash teapot one. Um, first one we have here, Mark Fulcher. Oh, right. You're gonna have to pay attention on this this oh, one, hello. Ian, because Mark Mark Welcome. likes to rant. Let's see. I up my ducks. So Going to keep this relatively simple this week. Questions for all to answer. Now, Ian, being an ex courier, and if Bruce hasn't already said, he went on a bit of a ride once upon a time, yawn. So you must have seen some pretty interesting things en route. So my questions are your scariest road experience you've had or witnessed
1: uh, whilst out and about? Yeah, I suppose the scariest one was, uh, fun enough, on a courier bike. Mm. And um, actually, at the time, it wasn't scary because I was unconscious. But afterwards, it made you realise how bad. It's riding down the Mac of Southwest 11, took a back road because I thought it was going to be quicker to cut the corner. Wet roads, lady pulled out straight in front of me. And it's that moment between knowing that you're not going to be able to stop and what to do. Yeah. It's just yeah. horrible. And You know you're going to hit the car and you brace yourself for it. That was the extraordinary. I, I, I did a lot of damage to that. Broke my back, bashed my brain in, did 101 things to it. But, mm. you know, the weirdest thing about the whole thing was, because obviously I was unconscious, ended up in hospital. But the strangest thing and the scariest thing was that – uh when it came to insurance and stuff, I had to go down because, like every claim, it wasn't my fault. Something that in front of me claimed my crash and stuff. They wanted the police report for it, and I had to go down and pay for the police report for the accident. So I went down to the police station and paid for it. You had um, to pay for the was. report. Hmm? You had to pay for the report. Yeah, I had to go and pay wow. for the report. So I got this report back. We're going back 25 years ago. Yeah, well, yeah. I think it was cash over the counter. I can't remember. Anyway, won't go down that road. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the point was, I got the report. I was reading it. And uh, the police report, the guy said, the policeman was the police guy was writing it. He said, I was called to see the accident. Uh, I walked up to the accident. I could see the motorcycle on the road. And uh the car was all smashed in and in the gutter lying face down was a white Caucasian that wasn't moving and he looked mm. dead and he walked yep. up and I thought Jesus Christ it was horrible man
0: yeah I, I I, had a similar thing with a I mean I've had someone pull out on me and I I end up rugby tackling her polo I think it was a polo and um, yeah that put me in the hospital but I think the, the worst I've I've ever felt was seeing my mate do that a pal of mine, we were on tour in Spain and we'd gone into Portugal. And it's the old, you know, everyone's behind you. I was leading and then all of a sudden no one's there. And you're like, oh, this and, ain't right. Then one of my mates sort of caught up with me and we trundled along for a while. Nobody, nobody. And then no traffic is coming from that direction yeah. either. So, you know, you just know, don't you? And I remember I turned around and went back and yeah, all, it was like a bomb had gone off and all my mates were... Like some were stopping traffic, and a load of them were over in, like the side of the road in the gully where where our oh. mate was. And you're just like, oh no, no. no Thankfully, you survived. But yeah, that's well, that's when horrible, you
1: really isn't a it? From a third party, it really brings yeah. it home. You know, it's like wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know, the scariest bit is that it's that moment when you know someone's pulled out in front of you. Mm. You know, you're on the brakes. You can't stop. Like Jesus Christ, you know, it's that. There's seconds, isn't it? And mm. it's just just horrible. Absolutely yeah. horrible.
0: I saw I saw a horrific thing in in Thailand, which I'll not go into too many of the details of. But you know, out in Thailand, they're they're um, a lot of them are uh, Buddhists. You know, they follow the the, the Buddhist religion. So yeah. for them, it's just like, well, if it's God's will, it's God's will. You know, they just yeah. he just pulls out, and he just this lad on our moped just pulled out from a side road in front of one of the flatbed trucks. You know, they're yeah. they're like they're like twenty thirty foot. High, just stacked with stuff on the back of this flatbed, and he just pulled out in front of it because that's just what they do, you know. It's well, if it's God's will, I'll get away with it, and if it's not, oh well. And yeah, this truck collected them, and um, well, yeah, I would. I, I stopped to see if I could help, but the most important part you of you wasn't attached to the rest of them, and it's like, oh, me,
1: I think that was so. one of my courier days. You know, I love my courier days. It was very anarchic. It was very. uh <laughs> drug-fueled, drink-fueled, crazy <laughs> times, you know. Um, and it was, it was really, really great times. But the most horrendous thing was we lost, I think, three riders yeah. during the time mm. there. Mm. And that's horrible. That's absolutely horrible. There's nothing worse than knowing, you know, you're on the radio talking to them. And then there's no one there. And you call them and you call them and you call them. Oh, we had an instance sheesh. once where, you know, we had the police guy picking up and went, you know, this is PC, whatever, 2589. Uh, who mm. am I talking to? Explain it and say, well, I'm afraid your eye has been in an accident. He's down. We're calling the ambulance. It's, it's horrible because yeah. he's just, he's so he's so close to these guys, right? They you know, all work and laugh together and go to the pub together on a Friday night. Mm. And then, yeah, it's sad times. But me, Right.
0: Let's bring the moon yeah, up. Cheers for that question, one, it? Mark. It Thanks, on Mark. Mark. <laughs> Mark, yeah. He's got another question. Best route oh, for God, a cup no, of it's splosh it's and bad. cake? Sorry, say that again? Best route for a cup of splosh and cake? So best sort of bike calf. What route do you do?
1: Well, we go down to down to the coast from here. What's it called? Where the there's a calf down there in that bend. So that one Where the where the road's going? The whole cliffs are going away. We've been down there. Burning Gap. Burling Gap. All right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a really nice road there as well. it's a great road because on the way down, it's it's got a couple of complete you know hairpins on the way down but the mm-hmm. great thing is that if you're at the top you can see all the way to the bottom you can see there are no cars there's mm. no police there's no nothing so for that <laughs> two miles or so you completely own that road and you can do your own thing it's just brilliant. and that's the burling gap
0: yeah nice Good down there as well.
1: what's what's your
0: what's your tipple and um uh like favorite sort of eat at a bike calf are you a tea or coffee man and what do you go for food wise Tea and a sausage sandwich. Mm. Red or brown sauce?
1: <laughs> oh, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> that, yeah. we're getting into fighting talk now. Actually, usually I go for mustard if I'm honest. Really? Yeah. Oh, posh, posh. <laughs> Continental option. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, was more... a caf, there was a calf down. Used to be at the bottom of. Just by brands hatch there. What was that calf called? Like most of them, it used to be a brilliant biker's form. So you have people At ask for biker's calf now, the majority of them all closed down the one time. Yeah. Well even
0: the Oakdean. the Oakdean, that um,
1: yeah. The on the twenty
0: is A twenty one, that's gone now as
1: well, isn't it? Yeah. Well, that's incredible. And don't yeah, forget, yeah. we're going back to the days where with Box Hill where they got Rikers Calf now. Mm. You know, we we used to go to Box Hill when there weren't speed bumps on Box Hill. Right. It wow. was great. And it used to be <laughs> I bet that was fun. Yeah, no, there used to be a time. There used to be timed from the top to the top to the bottom and bottom to the top. We you used See, to time each other up and down. It's he's chaos. the reason
0: there's no bot. There's no speed bumps oh, there.
1: Yeah, okay. Go, he's yeah. the
0: reason why you can't
1: get a bike when you're 17. And, you know, it's if this generation. Yeah, and have you ever been to uh, Heston Services? No. So if you go to Heston Services now, you're going their car park and there's barriers all the way across the car park. Do you know Is that, that your fault as well? Go on. <laughs> because in the old days, it was third, third Thursday, we used to go to Chelsea Bridge, third Thursday of every month, we used to meet at Chelsea Bridge, and I mean hundreds, yeah. and we used to race down M4, off of the first roundabout, back up testing services and stopping services, and there it was just burnouts and wheelies and driving and the car park, and then back to Chelsea Bridge again. It was great. See, it anymore, genuinely either. is all their fault. It is. Yeah, well, I, you know, I do wonder about it. Yeah, I think you're probably right. But,
0: but you had a great time, that's all right.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Um, right, next one. Yeah, Just anyway, to lower you the tone. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Just to lower the tone. Best, oh, God, cheers, Mark. I'll probably get blacklisted now. Best backside you've seen in a set of leathers on a bike and be, being thankful that the missus wasn't on the back and that tinted visors are a thing. You'd never guess Mark is newly single, would you?
1: Uh, well, sadly, i am be really boring here because my wife's got the best backside. Good man. Good man. And, you know, He's learned. And actually, He's learned. There's another, I can give you another bit, bit more to that as well. When we were doing the ladies' jeans... Uh-huh. Um, we did the first pair of jeans, which we did, and uh, we realized they were a bit low at the back. So when girls were on the bike, bearing in mind Nick isn't passenger, she got a billion, she rides oh, yeah, anyway. right down. But what we realized is, of course, it was too low. And then we found that, you know, your knickers are sticking out the top. So what yeah. we actually did was, and this is our testing and our, uh, <laughs> how we design our clothing, we got to sitting on the bike in the, in the warehouse we measured how high her knickers were sticking up above the this jeans this is your
0: excuse is it right no uh-huh. this is
1: true and that is exactly how much we added to the jeans <laughs> think design work that's how yeah, it works
4: what you've got to remember bruce is that took 26 models to do that. yeah yeah yeah. i'll bet i'll bet
0: well you've got to get an average don't you you know you need to make sure <laughs> yeah, I was there for six hours with my camera definitely uh, nick's, nick's butt's the best Excellent. Well done. I'm not saying anything. I'm not going to say a thing. Also, if this is the last one before Christmas, happy Christmas to everyone. Get pissed, put on at least two notches on the belt and enjoy some well-earned R&R. Cheers, Mark. You too, pal. Right, next one. Louise Worsfold. Evening all. I recently bought a roadskin belt, which is great quality. Thank you for a decent product. Two questions, if I may. First, what's the worst bike-related item that you've ever bought or been given, and why was it rubbish? Ooh. think Ooh. Worst bike-related Well, if item.
1: I'm honest, the worst bike, I didn't really buy it. I got given it as a present. Does that count? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, being given is one of them, Yep. Cool. So my mum knitted me a jumper with a motorcycle on it. Wow. He was, it was 32. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> I used to have to wear it as
4: well. Look, I've got a jumper on mum. It's like, oh, my
1: God. Hey, Come you, on, Mark.
4: I'll tell you one that I've had recently, Bruce, and it's probably yeah. because I'm a total imbecile and I don't know how to use it properly. Is one of those, I don't know if you've seen them on Instagram and that, it's one of those chain lube protecting the wheel things. They're in orange and you right. basically put them around the back of the wheel and then you spray your chain lube on and you clean yes, it. Yes, I've seen them. Can I master that? Can I master <laughs> that? But I've used it once. It's chucked to the back of the garage now. I, it took me, I put so much crap on the floor that I ended up, oh, this is a total waste of 30 quid this was. I, but anyway, that's an aside.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've never used one of them. What, I had a... God, I'll probably get sued now. I had a Scot oiler, but I, I could never get the floor rate right on it. Because it was either well, even at the even at the like the lowest setting, the slowest setting, it was still putting too much oil onto my chain, so it would just flick off onto the edge of my tire. Uh, I could yeah. never, I could never master it. But loads of people have told me they're fantastic, but I, I couldn't.
1: Well, I'm worse than that. I don't me. move my chain that often because I don't like all the rubbish going on my wheel. Yeah, I'd yeah. rather <laughs> replace the gene, uh, gene, I'd rather replace the chain more yeah. often than have a clean bike. Yeah, or you just or you just buy
0: the best bike in the world and have a drive shaft. You see, GS has got a drive shaft. <laughs> oh
1: yeah, Bruce. And on that subject, what is the best bike in the world?
0: <laughs> well, it depends. It's between the Jexatho and uh, and the GS twelve fifty. <laughs> uh, moving on, Louisa, moving on. One. Silence. <laughs> Silence. Next one, Trev. Evening, Ian and Bruce. Hope you're both enjoying a cold one or two. Yes, pal, we are. Working our way through. A couple of questions, of if I may. As I'm a relatively new biker, if you could go back in time, what's the best piece of biking advice you would give to your younger biker self? Oh, good question. Best advice.
1: you are thinking, Bruce? like Yeah, go on in. if you've got one. Yeah, mine's easy. Go for an off-road course. Do an off-road course. Mm. like absolutely 100 behind it and there's loads of them honda do them ktm do them you can you know bmw do them champs do them
3: yeah. you can
1: pay for an off-road day uh if you drop the bike it's not yours not good but you know at least it doesn't cost you anything but more importantly you get to learn a bike moving underneath you on slippery surfaces which translates into if you have an accident on the road or samples out in front of you in a wet road at least you're used to the bike moving I said that both my kids learned to ride off-road first. So to anyone, I'd say, if you're going to ride a bike on the road, do an off-road day and the more the better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I would, I would suggest some sort of tuition on track as well. So you learn, you're learning on the off-road side of things, you're learning about bike control and the feel of the bike moving beneath you uh, and the importance of body position and all that sort of stuff. But then conversely, on a track with tuition, you learn how most I think important most importantly, how how hard you can actually break. I think is really quite important and how much grip tires have on tarmac for sure. Um that's that was quite a revelation for me. I did the Ron Aslan race school right. and it was peeing it down like torrential rain. And we all turned it was a tire launch I think for Bridgestone and we turned up well, I rode up there, so I was the only one in in leathers. Everybody else, all the other journals were in cars, and none of them had put any <laughs> kit on because they're like, Well, there's no way this is going to be cancelled. And Ron Aslam came in and he was just like, Why, is, why are you not ready? And I, one of the journals was like, Well, there's no way we're going out in this. And he was like, Hang on a minute, <laughs> hold my beer. And he went out and he did a, like spanked a lap yeah. out on the Silverstone.
1: Came I mean, back I mean, in I and he was like, right. Was incredible, it, it was
0: it was incredible. I mean, I wasn't knee down, but blimey, heck, it was a, it was outstanding. The grip that they had, as you, you know said, one, it's not your bike, is it? So you know, you you push it, yeah. My yeah,
1: well, dad taught me as well, and this this has lived with me forever. And it was when I first started riding bikes. We were, we were driving on the car enough, and he said to me, um, he was talking about he had an advanced driver's instructor. And we're mm-hmm. talking about how they do and what they do and stuff. And he said, one of the things the advanced driving instructor was, or, or driver instructor, but he suddenly put his hand over the rear view mirror.
3: Yeah.
1: And then he turned around dad and said, What's behind you? And yeah. dad was like, Oh, uh, 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 and he couldn't answer it. And it's yeah. extraordinary because you know this thing about the lifesaver thing about looking over your shoulder, mm-hmm. which I do, and I am teaching everyone else. And I'm like, quite like, Why? Why why do you even think to lifesaver? You should know. What's mm. behind you? You should always be looking in rear view mirrors. Yeah. You know, since my dad told me that all the time I ride, I'm always constantly aware of what's behind me. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, life saving, of course, is good. You know, it's a good thing to do. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, you shouldn't need to do it because you should know what's behind you all the time.
0: Yeah, I, I actually got criticised for looking in my mirrors too much yeah. <laughs> on, the, on the police well, bike course. And I was like, too much? <laughs> but it's just from, uh, I did the car, the, the police car course, and there you're constantly, it's, li- it's literally, it's like every couple of seconds, mirrors, checking the mirrors all the yeah, time. Absolutely. And it's just force of habit. Like it's force of habit now for me. It's I'm just about always aware checking of the mirrors. environment, you know. The yeah, yeah. Not what's going not on and you. And I'm
1: staggered about a number of people that don't do it. You shouldn't yeah. be thinking about, i would to look over to my shoulder, see if there's a car overtaking me. You yeah. No, there's a car coming up fast behind me. Especially I know.
3: if you got
0: blue lights on it, eh? Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's one of the reasons, isn't it? Is knowing what's around about you and knowing is that is that like unmarked car that's been behind me for quite a while now. Um, all right, what's yeah. what's going on with it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
1: Absolutely.
0: Uh okay, cheers that one Trev. Oh, he's got another one. Uh this doesn't have to be bike related. If you were if you were a guest on room one oh one, what two things would you put in there? Mm. two things room
1: 101 101's when you get rid of stuff isn't it
0: yeah stuff you you've got to get rid of yeah
1: so stuff you don't want For me I would put every MP in the land oh yes every single one of them absolutely and the second thing i will put in is every single bloody journalist <laughs> Ex- except for motorcycle journalists obviously obviously <laughs> Honestly, I can't believe the crap that's on these days.
0: It, it annoys me now because I, I sort of probably naively grew up thinking, I would say certainly into my 20s, you know, up until my 20s. I grew up thinking like stuff on the, B- the news, on the BBC, that's fact and that's just the way it is. And then all of a sudden went into the old bill and like, dealt with stuff that made the news and you're like, that's not what happened. That's the total, that's utter bollocks that you're reporting. And you suddenly realise it's not true at all, is it? It's just what, what is news?
1: What's nicely to, good to market. Yeah, Yeah. I know, it's just unbelievable. So that's that's who I put in, all the MPs and all the journalists, apart from bike journalists, journalists, who I love. Apart from
0: bike journalists, yeah, well covered, well covered. I was going to say traffic wardens, but, but I think I suppose traffic nor- traffic wardens are a necessity because it would be carnage, but it already is carnage. It is
1: carnage in town. So Yeah, I think traffic wardens now are just a way to make money, aren't they? Aye, local yeah.
0: yeah. And, and these private speed camera operator things, mm. nah, I don't like that. Yeah. Uh, if I'm going to yeah. get done for speeding, I want it to be from a, a physical copper. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, a, you know, an actual yeah, um, person. I
1: personally am very pro-speed cameras. I think they're brilliant. Are because you? What, yeah, because what's happened is now they've got so many speed cameras on the road, they've basically removed all the traffic police. I think mm-hmm. I was talking to a guy, a policeman in, in Kent, probably about five, six years ago, and uh, he was in, I don't want to drop anyone in, so I've been careful, I say, but he was in getting some heated clothing off us, and his uh-huh. radio was on the stuff, and he got called away to an incident which was probably a good 25 miles away from where we were. And I made the comment about, God, isn't there anyone closer? And he said, on that day, there are only two traffic police, excluding motorways, only Mm. two traffic police on the road in the whole of Kent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's so many, there's so few traffic police now. It's great. So as long as you know where the speed cameras are and there's no traffic police on the road... It's great.
0: <laughs> it's not just traffic police. Sometimes yeah. there's like there's just no police. Full stop. You know, there's yeah. hardly any to cover an entire county. It's ridiculous. London, London is like an anomaly. Really, there's there's so many old bill in London, but even then, there's not as many as there used to be, at all. Yeah. I know.
3: Anyway.
1: it's sad. You know, if you could reverse the room one hundred and one thing in the little box, it would be if we got rid of all the politicians and all the all the. Media that we're talking about, not not by journo's, yeah. and then we could replace all the MPs with normal people like you and I, that maybe got a bit of common sense. Well, <laughs> 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 I just think okay. like really, you know, like God,
4: you can sort the world out
1: so easily. Iceland you know, did
4: that. Oh, sorry, go on, then. go on. I was going to sort of tell you a quick story, Bruce, about the police and that. I've got a few mates that work in the police and or, or have worked in the police. One of them used to work for the Essex. And he used to phone me up, yeah. That they they it was so politically correct, the police force. Um, he used to phone me up when he was locking the station up, yeah, because he was the only one in the station. And he said to he said to me that if the people of this town, I won't tell you what town it is, actually knew how many active police officers there are here, they mm. would be absolutely shitting themselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He used to phone me up because he was getting he was being threatened and He's thrown me up so that I could be a witness if something were to happen to him when he's locked the station up and mm. trying to got in his car. So he he's thrown me up until he'd actually got in his car and was driving away. Mm. And that was it. And that's how bad it had become. You know, I'm not saying it might be slightly different now when this was a number. It wasn't that long ago. You know, you're talking about between five and ten years they mm-hmm. it becomes so politically correct that there's hardly any police kicking around. It's, um, it's like that now.
0: There's half yeah. half the amount of coppers in the Met that there were when I when I when yeah. I joined Well, I joined and we got they got the numbers up to is it thirty-seven or forty thousand, I think they got up to, which is yeah. incredible because that's more than just about any other county constabulary yeah. put together in and the this, UK. This yeah. is
4: close to the Met where he worked. It was on the fringes. Mm
0: -hmm. and that's about the
4: best you're going to get out
0: of me anyway no worries no worries Uh, what you said there about normal people into government that's exactly what Iceland did though didn't it after the financial crash of 2008 when like Iceland Iceland basically restarted and they put the head of fisheries was a fisherman, the head of farming was a farmer. Okay. Like the head of schools was I mean, a teacher. Was and you are like does that not that makes sense, it's does it not?
1: not? It's the same kind of the same it's thing. Yeah.
0: Whereas here in the UK, you're, you'll be the chancellor like for six months and then you're swapped around. And then you the health minister.
4: Yeah, it's like, how's this one? Or, or you get kamikaze, kuatang, you know, last it two days. There you go. But anyway.
0: Right, no more politics. No stop more politics. politics. and religion. Let's stop it. Let's stop it. <laughs> right, Trev says, many thanks and hope you both have a great Christmas and a fruitful 2023. Cheers, Trev. Same to you, Pa. Thank you. Right. Uh, second last one. Rebecca Christie. Evening all. Question for Ian, and apologies if it's something I should know the answer to. What bike did you do the Red Bull Romaniacs on and why? We haven't even mentioned this. Oh, wow. You've not even
1: brought this up. <laughs> you did the Red it. Bull Romaniacs. I did it on a KTM 300. Wow. Wow. When was it? when was this that you did it? Nick's <laughs> yeah. correct to me. Second time I did a Hasvana, but Hasvana KTM, same factory. You've done it twice? Yeah. Bloody so hell, first come time on. I did it because I hadn't ridden, I used to ride, do a lot of off-road stuff. So I used to do a lot mm-hmm. of Enduros. Did, at Clubman's level, I hate to point out, I did uh, British Championships, Southeast Championships and stuff. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I looked after myself. I was quite good. So it's, you know, it's quite cool. And then um, life got involved, courier companies, kids, all the rest of it, didn't do any off-road riding. Then about 12 years ago, got divorced. Things went a bit pear-shaped on me. Sitting there on my own, going, "What am I going to do?" And I thought, "I'm going to b- go back off road riding again." And I just, I really love doing it; it's a real passion of mine. And so I thought, "What's the hardest event to do?" I know for Romaniacs? and so I did it, having not ridden off road for about ten, no, twenty years or so—long time. Jesus! And the first time I did, I did my press ups before I yeah. went out there. We drove out to Romania, and the first Set year, time, I did the job it, done. Yeah, the first year I did it. Oh my God, it was just awful they basically give you a joke a day so you have to finish every day it's about 100 it varies every day but say 120 miles off road and we're talking about literally up mountains through rivers mm-hmm. it's incredible there's nothing in the uk that can come anywhere close to it it's just brilliant romania instead, is a beautiful country yeah i went it. out there and uh they give you one joke a day which you're allowed to fail you have to finish it in an hour's time of the you know within a, an hour of stuff at the end of the day otherwise you're yeah. disqualified so, <laughs> they give you a Joker a Day so you can have one day where you finish out of the hour. The first year, I didn't finish one single day and I was disqualified wow. on the fourth day because I had my Joker Day spare. And the first two days, they canceled one because they sat in the other. So, anyway, it was an absolute disaster. And when I started riding, I thought, this is awful. And I would just sort of embarrassed myself, really. It was horrendous. And I was just awful. And I thought, this is not right. And so, came home again, very depressed. And then I spent a whole year, literally the whole year, Getting fit and riding my bike, I rode every single weekend. I did yeah. poor old Nick dragged around the whole uh, of bloody the UK, did some British uh-huh, championship uh. rounds again, and I rode and I rode and I rode and I went back again. And to be honest, I felt really good. I didn't think I looked good. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, down to fourteen stone, up to do two hundred press ups, it was brilliant. Yeah, um, yeah, and it was great. And I went out there, and it was just fantastic. Second time, bought myself a new bike. We drove out there all the way to Romania, which is fantastic. Great drive. And uh, we had a fantastic time. And Nick was just an angel out there; she's absolutely brilliant. So she has she did all her services, which mm-hmm. sounds easy, but you're in a 120 mile loop in the rain, Romanian mountains. Your sat nav doesn't really work. You've got waypoints to get to. You know, they're given the grid coordinates to work to. Wow! And she would have to drive up there. And they start all there. they do now. They do an iron class as well, which is for like beginner beginners. But when I was doing, they had bronze, silver, and uh, gold, which is championship guys, people like Jane, Graham, Jarvis, who Jarvis. Yeah, yeah walk up mountains, you know. It's crazy, um, isn't it? And I was in the the bronze class, and we went round, and then we had two service intervals during the days, and Nick have to get these service intervals. And there's one classic one where she's going up this one way road in the mountains. She had to squeeze past some trucks coming down, it was for earlier riders, and mm-hmm. she literally had to get out and move rocks at the side of the road with her wheels hanging off the edge of the road to drive round to get up there. Gee, she said her, she got home that night and she's like, well, about the hotel that night. She's said, like, Christ, I was scared I <laughs> Really? So she did a really, really good job. And I couldn't finish it without her. She kept it going the whole way around. I was okay. just aware to ask that.
2: <clears throat>
1: the last the, la- the second year that I did. So the first year was absolutely pants, embarrassed myself it was awful. Second year, I was a lot better. Um, started off okay, was doing okay, moving up through the rankings, things were looking good. Then the last day is always quite an easy day. I don't know if they've changed analysis nine, 10 years ago, but last day was a bit of an easier day. Mm -hmm. And then I just got through a really difficult bit and I can't begin to explain Bruce how hard it is. I mean, it's, it's not build the world's hardest enduro for nothing. It's impossible. You know, you're riding across some of these, just, it's just like a rockery, you know, but it's a whole mountain. You ride around the side of a mountain with rocks as big as cars. And you're trying to work your way around. And I just got through this really, really difficult bit. And it was at the beginning of the last day. Got through this rocky bit and I was really pleased. Got past a few more riders starting to move up. Things were looking good for the last day. And I was going across the top of this. So I had like a gravel track which is going across the top of this mountain. So really easy compared to just like doing a trial ride in Wales, you know. Yeah. And I don't know. To this day, I don't know what happened. I just don't know what happened, but I hit something. I actually I just I don't know. I just don't know. I was riding along quite normally relaxing. I went straight over the bars at about fifty miles an hour, bang. Yeah, and then I uh, smashed my shoulder up completely. I couldn't even move my right arm, which is obviously a throttle arm. But then at that stage, I'm like, oh, my God, this is second year. I've got to finish. I've got to finish. So what I did was I turned the tick over up on the bike. Then I could use my left hand. And um, at the end of this particular section, which was like an in-between difficult section, if you like, there was a, a guy, uh, they have these first aid points. Mm-hmm. So I went in there and I got off my bike and he's like, I like oh, my shoulder, really hurt my shoulder. And he looked he said, yeah. Get a helicopter, broken arm, like a broken shoulder. I'm like, no, 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 I've got to finish, I've got to finish. Said, no, you can't finish. Can I get a helicopter down? No, 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 I've got to finish, gotta finish. And he basically just looked at me like I was mad and uh, gave me a morphine jab. So he's like, oh, this is good, I like this. So yeah. that's I went. And then from then on, well, what so I you finished was, it with a broken collarbone. Yeah, and what I learned was though that when you get to when you get to the stages, when it was a difficult bit, which obviously I couldn't ride one arm, but yeah. what in my uh, <clears throat> A bit embarrassing, but in what I realised was, if I dropped my bike, so if I got to a stage which is a really difficult uphill with rocks or whatever and logs on it, if I dropped my bike in a really awkward place at the beginning of the section, I could then I'll be standing there and I could I'll be holding everyone up because they couldn't get yeah. past me,
3: <laughs> and then I'd say, oh, i am really
1: hurt my arm, really hurt my arm. and they'd go, "Oh God, hold on," and then would lift my bike over the tree or through the log or across the river. <laughs> to the other side like it it. everyone went past and I could walk across the other side get back on my bike again, off I went so I did it basically one arm and the tick over turned up and swapping around down there for dancing yeah using your noggin like it like it that was the hardest hardest riding day of my life but also most satisfying it's brilliant so, when you said you turn the tick over up,
0: so is that a, I'm assuming that's so that you can use the clutch
1: as like a, a th- feathering the clutch to act as a throttle, basically. Yeah, it's so like i not you know, for argument's sake, I was on about a third revs, something like that. So the bicep right. revs nuts off basically all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. But it meant you could change gear because obviously on a dirt by like that, you can change gear without the clutch anyway. Wow. Both up and down, it's quite easy. So you just slick it through the old gearbox and off you go. Easy on the easy bits, it's quite an easy thing to do. Yeah. Um, but on the harder bits, it was a struggle. But like I said, I just used my uh, brains, got in the way. Yeah, we
0: Fair
1: play.
0: Um, Rebecca, wait, wait, man, that's that's something in itself. Wow, fair play to you. Rebecca Christie's got a second question um, to you both. You have to deliver a movement-sensitive chemical from UK to Nepal by motorcycle. The chemical needs to be kept at an even temperature and not be vibrated, otherwise it would explode. What bike are you going to do it on and why? Oh. UK to Nepal, movement sensitive chemical. Something something with excellent suspension.
1: I'd have to pick a adventure bike. Probably not a BMW, even though you love them. Mm. Last time I rode a BMW, it used to shake like hell. Do they still shake? Really? No. Yeah.
0: No, no. Well, they've all, they've all got sem- Well, they've all got full um, uh, semi-active suspension now, don't they? They just collide. It's lovely. engines go... Yeah, they're still fairly agricultural. The boxers still fairly agricultural, but so nothing... I
1: mean, but probably the... Uh, what's the full the one? The X, XR 1200,
0: is it? The XR? Oh, that's Yeah, but that's really rigid suspension. That's like a, that's a proper road-focused bike, that, the XR.
1: Right, so I think in terms of engines, if you need a smooth engine for the journey with good suspension, mm. so maybe on the Triumphs? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, good point. Because much as I love Ducati's, they do shake a bit. Fine I thought Gold, V4 one. Goldwyn.
0: Goldwyn? Yeah, Goldwyn. Big armchair.
1: Smooth as you like. Uh, I assume, well, I assume that the roads in the pool are going to be a bit rough. Well, there's no roads. On. Yeah, there's no
0: roads. But, I mean, you know, just plug it, plough your way through. You're not going to be going quick, are you? Well, I won't be going quick. I'll just be come. plodding my way along. So I just want a nice, plush suspension. And Wing. I can listen to tunes on the Goldwing as well.
4: Uh, have, you read it? have you ridden Have you
0: ridden a Goldwing? Genuinely, have you ridden a Goldwing?
1: No, we borrowed a um, BMW, what was that, by K1600. 1800 Bagger off BMW a couple of weeks ago to do a thing for Gerb and Heated Clothing. We did a yeah. film for that. And the local BMW garage lent us one of those. <laughs> Not particularly a bike that I like, but one incredible bike. Yeah, Unbelievable. Smooth, comfortable.
0: Believe it or not, the Goldwing's better than that. I've never ridden one. Honestly. I think it's okay it, to ride one. I, I I was kind of like that. It was only because people were telling me, ride one. Just ride one. And I, I managed to get my hands on one with Honda. Amazing. Absolutely. I, I would glad if I had thirty-two thousand pounds, I would gladly have one in my garage. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be happy when it came to servicing. But honestly, to ride it. Like it's boring as hell on a straight line, but you put that thing on the like the twisty B roads mm. or a really nice flowing a road it comes alive like the tighter the turns the, the, well, the better that, I bow that bike your, is about to your better
1: judgment then
0: genuinely it is mind-boggling how well that bike handles and it's 400 and 430 kilograms. So nearly yeah. half a ton. It's so ridiculous. It good as well, isn't it? Yeah, it does, yeah, yeah, yeah. And my wife, my wife, that's the only bike my wife sat on the back of and said, get one of these. That was like 32 yeah.
1: grand. Well, you sit with Nick on the back of my Ducati, she wasn't a happy lady. No.
0: <laughs> Not my missus used to sit on the ride. back of the Jyxer thou. She was like, never again. Never again. So in
1: general, what we're saying is though, so no Italian bikes, really. No American bikes. <laughs> no. So, really, yeah. look at a Japanese bike which is yeah. going to be smooth engine or German bike.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think that's going to have to be the one, isn't it?
4: Goldwing. Mark's going for Goldwing. He's going Goldwing. He's going
1: goldwing. Like it. Yeah,
4: okay.
1: You're going to have to get yourselves down to a
0: Honda dealership now and, and take out the Goldwing. You'll have one in the garage next.
3: <laughs>
0: no, no, Bruce. I've just got a Harley in the garage, mate. I don't want to. Bloody, what, um,
1: Harley, what Harley? Oh, you've got some classic Harleys, haven't you? And the you had one in the shop, didn't you? No, no, no. We've got a um, we got one we use for the Roadskin stuff, right. which is more. A, it was a bike. It was built for Vogue magazine. Fun enough for one of their photo shoots. It's a Softel. so it looks uh, it's it looks really cool, but it's probably the worst bike I've ever ridden in my <laughs> life. It doesn't stop, doesn't go. This is like really, it's just a. a That's a Harley, though, isn't it? Is a great, but this one. Isn't it?
0: Right, last question, Lee Vigor. Hello, oh, both. He Hope you're well. Friendly. I was do just you know to see do you had it. a really bad um, bike accident? Yes, he's he's been on the podcast. Yeah, yeah he, he well was done. the one that he was the one that got me into the he air vests because yeah, he was um, telling me his story about them. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. Uh, He says, a big thanks to Ian and his better half for keeping me warm for the last decade and more so for the best customer care that I've ever received from any company if only all companies would take a leaf out of their book. My question is, who has been your worst customer and why?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, not (laughs) a Oh, who's been my worst customer? Thanks, You uh, I think the worst with Roadskin that we do, we don't all all our customers are brilliant. We get virtually no complaints at all. And if we do get a complaint, it's either a genuine mistake that we've made. Mm. or you know, we'd get manufacturing force at every company, we know something's gone wrong. Yeah. And we can sort sorted out, but we never ever I can't think of a, a ever an embarrassing bit or anything that's ever been wrong with road skin customers. They're absolutely they're great, really great. Gerbing customers, on the other hand, are a world of their own. Girbing right. is a very technical product. I've been doing Gerbing since even well, longest of ending, twenty odd years. Right, it's a it's a great product. It's it's it is a great product. It's got its faults in that I think that slightly old fashioned in some of the designs of their gloves and stuff but fundamentally, technically wise, is probably one of the most reliable, best products out there. They just mm. don't particularly make their stuff look good. So that's sort of downside. They don't look really cool and trendy. Mm. But most working riders like Hackett because it's reliable, it's great. But some of those customers are just a bloody nightmare. Honestly, guys, it's just unbelievable. We had one guy that had a problem with stuff, and he, he said to me, um, I can't even remember what the actual issue was. And I think probably told to my hands up, it's probably something we've done wrong. This is a classic will happen to show sometimes. And he he was giving they can be very behind the keyboard, they can be very, very aggressive. Oh yeah. You know, oh, yeah. And they're just another well, we can't send it to them. <laughs> and I've learned over the years, if you start getting involved in the argument, it just gets worse. Yeah. It just absolutely gets worse. So we get these guys so they're doing wrong and so. And the thing is, I always say to people, you know, we gotta we gotta uh, there's an issue with all heated clothing, not just curbing in that Obviously, it's hot. So if you're riding the motorcycle, as you know, the environment around you is quite an aggressive environment. There's cars and there's wind and there's rain and da, da, da And you're not really thinking about your hands as such. Um, so, of course, if you're riding down the motorway, for example, M4 into London, if you're going down the motorway doing 70, 80 mile an hour, you can have the heating on full heat and it's not a problem mm. because you've got the wind chill on you, it's keeping yeah, it down. Yeah. But then, of course, you're into your M25, stop, start, stop, start, or you're getting to London. And of course he's slowing down. The wind chill's not there. But what happens is you don't forget to turn the gloves down. So they leave them on the hottest heat setting. They're not thinking about stuff, they're watching pretty girls walking past or whatever. And then all of a sudden, oh my god, my hands my hands are too hot. It's like the same thing we always say to people, you know, it's like a shower. If you're in the shower, and it's hot, you turn the bloody shower down. You don't stand (laughs) there and burn yourself. You know, it's as simple as that. And it's the same with all heated clothing, whether it's ours or anyone else's. You've got to regulate it, you know. And for me, you start on the lowest heat setting and you work up. Most people Mm. start on the highest heat setting and work down. Yeah, And so we get these people. And so I'd say I couldn't specifically say one customer in general has been really bad, but I would say that a lot of Gerben customers can be a real pain in the arse. And it's because a lack of understanding and, of course, the customer always knows best. And you really want to say to someone like, yeah, but that's not our fault or that's not those, but they won't have it. So in general, gerbing customers, this time of year especially, I mean, classic things like we'll have, um, this is a classic example. We'll have a glove go wrong, yeah? It's got a lifetime warranty on it, not a problem, we'll sort it out for you. And we do, as good as gold. But you know, they've got to send it to us to be able to test the glove first. We're not going to give mm. away a hundred and eighty pound pair of gloves just because some guys on an email on the phone going, My gloves not working, There's something wrong with mm. it. We say, send it in to us, we send them all the form, send it in to us, we'll check it, we'll test it, we'll either repair it or we you know, assuming it's undercovered by warranty. Um, yep. then we repair it and we'll send it back to you, no problem at all. And then they'll go, Well, what am what am I gonna what am I gonna use? Well, I haven't got my gloves. And I go, Well, how long have you been riding bikes? Well, 15 years. Well, you've got one pair of gloves. Mm. Yeah. These is the only gloves I've got. Really? And they just do that, and you know, they're just trying it on.
3: Yeah. They're yeah, starting
1: they to send the stuff. It's like, well, no, you've got to send it back. You can't do that. So, those sort of customers are just, just a nightmare. And they just very do, you know. diplomatically put. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing it a long time.
0: Uh, Lee says, Merry Christmas to you all. Thanks very much, Lee and you. Uh, Merry Paul. Christmas to you, Lee. Right, that's that's the questions. We've gone through the questions. We have got through them. It's not you bad. Got them. Two hours, fifteen minutes. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> how
2: does that compare, Bruce? How does, yes, that,
4: compare, how does that compare with your other um, interviews as such? i it too l- long
2: or. This is the no, bird no, skin no! Family.
3: It Lafayette is, isn't it? How we all doing? I yeah. would say
0: that that I think I think sort of two to two and a half hours is a good good length for the podcast. It's a right good chat. I've had some that go three three and a half, some that have almost pushed into four, and you're like, I know, I know, people yeah. are going to be a bit bored now. <laughs> but yeah. but this yeah. this is I think that's a good length. You get you get loads of like delivery drivers, couriers, all that sort of stuff, tradies, loads of people just plug their headphones in and they just listen to the podcast oh yeah oh, oh. this is the real family this
2: oh. the, yeah this is the whole road skin family
0: what, what's the dog called
2: lottie
0: lottie hi lottie
1: <laughs> she blends right. in with ian's hair look she does wow
0: that's frightening
1: and <laughs> well, you know um, you notice that we did as well we managed because of what mark told me all the things i couldn't talk about well, I'm still. This is still on, so <laughs> don't, don't, don't let forth what you're not supposed to say. Just a so, warning. So those things I couldn't talk about in the courier days. So we left the most of those out, and there was right. the fun bits as well. We'll do that for part two then, the (laughs) X-rated version. Um,
0: Right, before we go, can I hand it over to to you guys? Um, Obviously, you want to plug the shop, the website, but if there's anything else that you want to plug, feel free, over to you.
1: Mark, come back here. here. So we just want to say thank you, Bruce, for a jolly, enjoyable evening. Thank you very much indeed. Great, on, mate. To, great learning about stuff we do. And uh, I'm sorry if I've talked too much and bored too many people. I am deeply passionate about road skin. You know, we really do believe in our product. We spend a lot of time <clears> testing and 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 practicing and getting our ass dragged down the concrete to see what's going on. We've got some brilliant products coming out over the next couple of years. And, yeah. you know, we don't want to be the biggest company in the world. We never do that. We just want to be friendly people that know our stuff, look after people and, you know, save a few skins on the way. And, you know, that's our target, and we're really happy doing it. So, you know, February shows and stuff, pop along and say hello. We're always welcome to have uh, donuts or cans of beer. People always ask for discounts. We never discount unless we get something in return. There you go, folks.
0: Rock yeah. up with some booze and some donuts. <laughs> uh, where do people go? Where, where, what's the website if people want to check out the so
1: We're on uh, roadskin.co.uk. We've also mm-hmm. just started an Instagram
4: account, Mark, called Roadskin on Tour. Right, well, yeah, we and yeah, roadskinontour.co.uk. Go to that as well because we've got a website. And also, you've got gerbing.co.uk. Gerbing.co.uk. For you, the you, mean, yeah. you know, ultimately, no matter what Ian says, Yes, we have people that that have problems with gloves, but we sell tens of thousands of pair of gloves every year. So the problems are minimal compared yep. to the amount of sales that we actually do. So gotcha. you know, but, but well, as recovered. Ian said, well recovered, well <laughs> recovered. Yeah, yeah. As Ian says, the problems are it's it's the lack of education. People mm. not necessarily always doing what what is blatantly it says. We put notes on the front printed leaflets on the front of the gloves telling them how to work them and, and throw them away <laughs> you know so so yeah it's it's minimal but yeah so gerbin.co.uk roadskin.co.uk roadskinontour.co.uk as Ian I says think, we've got 18 to 18 places we're going to next year four of which are abroad um Portugal. i think the important thing to remember sorry to yeah, no, that, the on. important on. thing to remember with roadskin is we don't sell
1: in shops so you will not find Roadskin in any shops anywhere, full stop. Really? In the I didn't game. know that. Yeah, the reason being is basically shops in general, they've got their markup, which you completely understand they need to make the money. So we keep the prices down at Roadskin by not selling to shops. So that gotcha. means that people can only get on our website, Roadskin.co.uk, well, or yeah. when we go around shows, which is why we're doing 18 shows. We just bought ourselves a new truck for this year. We're Lovely all excited. Job. So if they want to buy Roadskin stuff, they basically need to go and see where we're coming up, you know?
4: Yeah, we're getting we're getting we're getting t-shirts made up, which are very much like the uh, rock t-shirts with our gig guide on the back of where we're going to be over the 18 shows. As I say, we're abroad. We got uh, Portugal, France, Austria, the Netherlands. We're hoping to be at the Isle of Man TT, but that depends totally on costs, Bruce, because it's as you probably well know, it's very expensive to get to the TT.
2: We need accommodation in the Isle of Man. So if anybody knows of any accommodation during the uh, TT season, then it's if sad. you can help, please do. No,
0: Thank I mean... You. Look, where's the brains of the operation here? There Absolutely. we go. Oh, right, Absolutely. I know, I know. Loads of you listening and watching here. There's loads of connections in the Isle of Man. We're going there anyway in April. But if you've got a, a bed set, a an Airbnb, even your own house, whatever it is, if you've got anywhere over there that you can offer them accommodation, drop them a line. Yeah, all the links will be down below. Be website, all the socials. Fantastic, right. guys. Right, thank right. you.
4: Thanks, Thank Barry. you so Thanks, much Bruce. for
0: spending your evening with me. I've loved it. It's been an absolute pleasure. And, uh, Cheers, I'll pop down and see you in the shop in Tunbridge, uh, Tunbridge Wells, isn't it?
4: Can in the, the public turn up at the shop? Yeah, yeah, everybody turns up. Turn it, turn it Monday. Where, yeah, we where is the shop? Monday to, Friday, Monday to Friday, Bruce, between 10 and 4. We open at 9 and close at 5, but 10 and 4 for the Joe public. Monday to Friday, if they need anything else, they can phone us up. If it's a motorcycle group or whatever, we can do something by arrangement. So if they want something on Saturday and there's a few of them want to come down, we can do it by arrangement. But, yeah, Monday to Friday, um, obviously, uh, when we're doing shows, then, uh, you know, sometimes it helps to us. let us know so we can make sure we've got the staff in.
0: Lovely job. Nice. Folks, if you're familiar with Tunbridge Wells, if you know where uh, the BMW showroom is, go down that uh, sort of main road there in front of the showroom. You'll get to a roundabout where the McDonald's is. Hang left at that um, uh, roundabout and Roadskin are in there. The address will be on the website. Make sure Just you check to that
1: out. out that, uh, Bruce, the yep. McDonald's there, no Mark his first name. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yep, <laughs> there's going to be a few words said after this. Right, Brilliant. awesome. Ian, thanks very much, mate. Been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I'll no doubt I'll see you soon. Right, Thank folks, you. hope you've enjoyed oh. this one. Uh What can I say other than what I always do? Look after those that you love, get on out there whenever you can and live your
3: life. woo Dude,
0: awesome.